and welcome to episode 106 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that are released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap64 itself. This week, we start our look at December 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 44 of Zap64, along with what was also lighting up our TV screens that month. So Graham, tell us of the first batch of games that we could have found under the Christmas tree. In this fun-packed day trip to the freezing cold seaside of an episode, we deftly manoeuvre around a series of tile-based explosive stream platforms looking to defuse the situation in the clever bomboozle, try and switch on the power to a geometric building with bouncing balls and trampolines in the confusing power pyramids, and attempt to navigate the pixel-perfect pipelines of an oil platform with a new military tank in Scorpion. Have you ever tried eating an ice cream in 60 mile an hour winds and a torrential rainstorm? That is how we roll in Cleethorpes. After that, we once again get our puzzle-solving brains into gear and the good-looking but under-described Pulse Warrior set about raising some money for a worthy cause with a troubled dull runabout in The Race Against Time, once again head into the multi-event world of the Olympics with the guided hand of epics in their dull final sports hurrah, the game's summer edition, before finally ripping off some cloth, wrapping it around our heads and popping on a couple of bullet belts as we blast up the enemy camps in the very shooty Purple Heart. A gold medal shining bright. Unfortunately, it wasn't shining for any sports games in this episode. Blessed are the bomb diffusers and puzzle makers, it seems. Jingle bells. Jingle some bells. Of them, yes, some of them tightly wrapped. Uh, and, them... and hopefully never, never unwrapped. Too much sellotape on some of them, I hope. <laughs> uh, it won't open. You want a knife? No. No, no. I'll save that one for later. I'll open it later. <laughs> How do you know what's in it? I can, I can, oh, I can smell that one. <laughs> I know the smell of a dog egg. That smells like a, a pyramid of power to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what do I know? Um, it is the f- it is the last. This is it. This is it. This is the last. Well, it's a four episode month because there's yeah, twenty eight games to get through. Um, so we split it over four. Uh, so seven 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 games, as you've just heard. It is the first of the month, though. So Graham, we must look at the cover. Yes, we must do that actually, and it's a Christmassy one, isn't it? Or is it? Well, it's uh, you know, a, 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 what's this? An Apache helicopter. <laughs> Nothing yeah. says Christmas like a <laughs> like a, a US gun gunship about to wage war and death on people. Yeah, it's got Father Christmas and his sleigh in there, going over the moon in the background. That's I think they put that in because they were thought it's not really Christmassy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit. Of a, has anyone got? Yeah, that's a bit of a uh, cutout in it from a, <laughs> yeah. a decoration that just put that it is over total clipper. That is yeah. clipper that someone threw in last minute. That like, oh god, it's. This looks like a war cover. There's no no Christmas stuff. It's got the word Christmas on it, but... Yeah, it's oh 228-page Christmas special. But even that's not particularly Christmassy, is it? No, and also, what happened to that writing? <laughs> what happened? What, Someone what? went mad with the font distortion tool, and it's, it's just... <laughs> don't do that. Never do that. Never do that. No, no. And the, the outline of that thing reminds me of some, like, kind of wafy... Um, sort of, sort of got ghost or something. Can't, yeah, what, if, what's it meant to be? I don't Why is know. it written that way? Why isn't know. it written in a bauble or something Christmassy? Why is it in a what I guess is meant to be a flame? I don't know. Why it's is 20, 228 strange. pages a different font to the Christmas special? Don't even. I, I spotted that and I was trying not to see it. <laughs> Sad not to spot too, it. It's too many typefaces. Too many. There's, there's a lot of text me. on this cover as well, isn't there? A lot of oh, text. Don't. don't. Too much typographic. Text, I might say. They're getting worse. They are getting worse. The covers are getting worse. 
And it's not on the count of the art that's on them. I said, said last, last week that the typographic nature of these is getting crazy and the, the stuff they're writing is garbage. It's utter, utter garbage. Oh. And also, also as well, did we, we had a mega tape last week, didn't we? Last yes, time, we did. last month. At the yeah. top, it says "Strike a Light," a cassette. It must be Christmas, and no mistake. Well, was it Christmas last month? They've had it and the month before. I know. What's <laughs> going on here? It's been a mega tape for the last two months. This is nothing new. And no, anyway, no, it's, it not. Just, it's just you know what? I don't like it. I don't like <laughs> the way they've done the Thunderblade, and then it just says a playable demo of Thunderblade. Great, bombboozle. Nebulous. And was that 50 or 60 games reviewed? Ah. Over 60. Oh. Yeah. But half of them are out for the Commodore 64 now. And it's a lot just, of them are how, how much text is around? Are you right? Look how much. I mean, they've got bullet points on a cover. You spend half your educating <laughs> life telling people not to use bullet points. That's absolutely necessary. Bullet yeah. points right there. Bullet points. 50 stockings full of goodies. A rough and yeah. tough. This all, you don't need to tell us what you can win. Just say no. there's loads of prizes. Just put win over 200,000 pound of prizes. <laughs> That's a year's supply of chewits. Yes. That's got to be the stupidest prize, although probably quite nice and tasty, because I remember chewits being quite nice. But a year's supply is a lot. That's a lot of chewits. I mean, how, many, how much chewits could you reckon you could get through? I mean, I could get through about three or four packs a day. I'm telling you, I'd have put that to the bloody challenge. They'd have been like, oh, God's sake. <laughs> why like do we, why did you say that? <laughs> 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 oh, it's a remorseless eating machine. machine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, that would have been. I did like Chewits. It's the one with the little dinosaur, Absolutely. wasn't it? And the, yeah. I mean, I'd have just actually given up and wore sweatpants, except you know the uh, the crotch wears out too easily. <laughs> have you seen that uh, the overuse of the word loadser? No, don't use that word. No, it's, we're in. We're full in loads of money territory, though, aren't we? At the moment? Yeah, but so, even so, just don't don't I guess. don't try and get yourself. No, I don't like it. I, I, the helicopter that's been drawn, obviously, by, by you know Mr. Frey. I'm guessing. That's excellent. Yeah. Everything else, clip art on top of a bad moon, usual blurry background. It's just this. It feels to me like the Oliver Frey art of yester year, pre zap, early zap, other zap is gradually being pushed into the corner, the top right hand corner of every issue. Yeah, it really is. Also, as well, tons. It just says at the bottom, tons of RPGs and blister packs. Who wants loads of blister packs? What's they are the bane of everyone's life. Blister pack? What's a blister pack? And it, ones you can't open, and it says, you, and then oh, if you break them open, you no. can't return it. Yeah, are they blister packs? That's a blister pack, I think. Yeah, yeah. Not good. I don't know. Maybe I got that wrong, but it's those things you need scissors to open, and then they just slice your hands to ribbons. It doesn't shout anything great about anything. That and it used to be that you'd have the big game, and that'd have the you know the cover material. I know it's Thunderblade, but that's not shouting Thunderblade at me or Christmas or anything like it's. This, this, that fundamental change in everything, you can it's really starting to... Well, I've noticed it more as it's creeped in. I and mean, we've mentioned it in the last couple of episodes now, but um, as it's creeping in, I've noticed it more and more. And this particular issue of Zap, I think is the worst, some of the worst editorial content in the reviews I've read in any of the Zaps. Because some of the reviews of the games, aside from the comments from the people who well, review them, they're yeah. absolute utter gibberish. <laughs> I noticed that as well with some of them as well. I was like, what are you on about? Shut up! Tell me about the game and how it works, you stupid thing. Because how am I supposed to know? Yeah, <laughs> that is true. I read some of them and was oh. like, this tells me nothing. But no, there we go. Very frustrating. And if you've changed the shape of Zap and the actual logo, you are doing yourself a mischief. You know, it's not good, is it? Anyway. Yeah, they have slightly. They've 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 angled it more towards us. If, if yeah. you compare it to previous issues, it's angled. So much text on that page. It's embarrassing. <laughs> It is, it's a lot. I mean, I don't know what other magazines were like at this point. Probably just loads as well, but it's probably just the era of the typographical nightmares. The magazines, the only magazines that have covers like that are magazines like Burst or 
you know, fragrant. Oh, well, you know, stupid one word persons magazines. No, like the situation magazines. I don't even want to call them. <laughs> Hello, Bella. And yeah, and all that. Like, and all they that look like that. Where they've got a picture of a, you know, a three fingered monkey chucking a bat at a cat or something. And <laughs> my husband turned to concrete, but I still love him. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, my fingernails are glow sticks and it's ace, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In fact, a friend of mine, a friend of the po- other friend of the podcast, Paddy, and I once created two um, I saw covers. Them. Uh, so, well, a little thing for our patrons. I'll find them because I've got them somewhere. I'll stick them in the Patreon uh, in our Discord. <laughs> now, if that doesn't get you sign up, I don't know what will. <laughs> exactly. Does it get more exciting than that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, there we go. We are into the last month. We've got four episodes for this to come up. And then, obviously, we've got the madness that will be the Breadbin Awards for 1988. That'll be an interesting uh, episode. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sort of dreading it. No, it's going to be a bit crazy. Anyway, should we uh, get on with some games? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We've done our cover duty. Let's get on with some games. And Graham, it's over to you for, is it Bomb Oozle or Bomb Boozle? You, you decide. Oh, bomb <laughs> <laughs> You decide and tell us all about Bomb <laughs> I should tell you all about Bomb Boozle, I'm guessing. Bomb Boozle, isn't it? It's B-O- Bomb Boozle. Bomb Boozle, yay. Gold medal. Mm. Gold medal. Mm. Is that the first gold medal of the new review team or is that the second gold medal? That they? No, Amalek got one. Was it the same team though or was it? Yeah, yeah, except it, it was last month. Because they 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 seem to be changing their teams a lot, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, Amalite was definitely them. For this week. Last month. Anyway, so 97%, that's a whopper. That, you know, wow. Publisher here is Mirasoft. Um, Mr. Fell off about Mirasoft. Developer was uh, Imageworks, coded by Tony Crowther and David Bishop. Mm. And Bishop and Crowther, Tony and Bish, Bish and Bosh, Bish and Bash, Bosh and Bish. <laughs> Tony Rant, and Crowther. It's Tony, and it's Tony and Dave, man. It's Dave and Tony. <laughs> oh, Tony, where's Dave? <laughs> it's them two. <laughs> Bash Bosh. <laughs> Bish bash off. Why didn't they do Bish that? Bish bash bomboozle. <laughs> and the musician here is Anthony Crowther. Um, <laughs> Ainsley Jarvis. Ainsley Jarvis. Something troubling you, Ainsley. Um, so this is a nice puzzle game from the old big TC. What did I put? What did I mean by TC? Why did I put... Why did I put Big TC when I've written that? What does that even mean? Tony Crowther. Tony Crowther, I'm guessing. Why did I... I don't know, I've just put... I've looked at Anthony Crowther on my sheet and gone, what, what does TC mean? I've just gone through a bit of a phase, I think. Um, <laughs> bright and bold loading screen, this. Uh, very nice. Takes you to a nice title screen as well with the score and the UI kind of graphics position at the top. I think they're always there, aren't they, in this? Mm-hmm. So in the game, a nice fizzy animated logo below, which has got like a nice sort of fizzy bubbly filling up type effect. Quite nice, that. Mini guide to the tiles underneath. And I'll come to all of what this is. And sort of, you'll notice that you can play this in 2 and 3D. Uh, it's a puzzler, this. A nice puzzle game that can be played in both isometric and orthographic traditions. Exciting, isn't it? Um, according to the, the According to the blurb, I won't go through the whole blurb, but according to the little blurb, uh, it says in the blurb, the whole reason for your existence is to blow up bombs. Each level must be cleared within a time limit by destroying all the bombs and mines on it. Naturally, you must ensure that you don't blow yourself up or fall off the tiles that make up the levels. On some levels, there are beasties who will get in your way and attempt to kill you, but there are also helpers who will blow up bombs on your behalf. Um, so it's actually a, a fairly straightforward notion in this game, and I quite like it for that. Um, so the aim of the game is very simple, in fact. You're presented with a grid of tiles, 
and I'll come to the views and the, all the perspectives and all that stuff in a bit, but we'll just get to the, the crux of this. Um, so you uh, present with the grid of tiles. Some of the tiles have special properties, um, which I'll come to in a little while. Some of the tiles will be empty, and some of them will have varying um, kinds of bombs on them. You must get rid of those bombs on the level before the timer runs out. To do this, you can carry a load of bo- you actually carry a load of bombs with you, and you can step from tile to tile. Um, holding the mouse button down will leave a little countdown. You can plant a bomb. After doing this, you will need to quickly move so it can detonate and destroy the tile and or bomb. Um, if a bomb is near enough to another one, you can trigger a series of detonations. If you're in the way, the bomb will blow up and you d- and destroy you and the tile underneath you, resulting in a loss of one of your five lives. Once you clear all the bombs, you will gather up some points for any remaining tiles, and then it's on to the next level. The levels get more difficult as new items are introduced. There are a range of different tiles that all work in different ways. Um, so, for example, um, you're going to have got normal tiles, which uh, co- which are normally completely destroyed by any explosions. You've got slotted tiles. Um, they're completely destroyed by explosions, but bombs that are on these tiles can be moved. You've got riveted tiles, which will not be destroyed by explosions. You've got dissolving ones that will just disappear as soon as you step on and step off them. And there's ice, which you can't stop on because it skids you off. So you've got to be careful on there. So there's sort of... Mm-hmm. The working parameters of the game. And these are actually explained on the title screen in a really nice way as well. So this of the graphic view of them, they're in instructions, but this, it doesn't get more complicated with the tiles than any of that. So all pretty good. And also, of course, there's uh, other types of bombs as well. So not just to be content with having different tiles on there, you've got different kinds of bombs or mines. Um, so you have small ones, which um, now the bombs in the varying size, it's really kind of changes the detonation arc or the detonation radius Mm, of yeah, the yeah. of the bomb so a small bomb has a sort of an explosion of one one tile medium ones have an explosion radius of i think four tiles in a sort of square around them and then obviously a large mm. bomb even more tiles and, and of course if there's any bombs in any of those tiles then they're going to blow up as well and then that radius is extended and you could very quickly blow up everything on the entire screen with one bomb if you don't know what you're doing there's mm. also what they call swell bombs although i never got into the levels far enough to be able to come across any of those where they vary in size so they go from small to large and there's also a bombs um, which is when they detonate on level it'll be apparently set off automatically again these are in the in the depths of the game i never got that far into it although it is quite an engaging experience how exciting is that tiles and bombs all over the place they are if you choose the orthographic view um, which was my first stopping point here um, or 2d and um, you'll play from a top-down view with compass type controls with a joystick and fire button to grab deploy bombs if you choose the 3d view the isometric view you control the movements isometrically so up is left down is right right is up and left is down confused yeah, no, you will no, be yes i was I yeah, played it your brain. yeah i, I did because after a while i started getting angry with myself yeah i did i didn't mean to walk <laughs> off yeah exactly and fire does the same thing in those it's a lot more difficult playing in that view of course but it does give it a completely different dynamic of play and it's quite nice if you run out of time blow yourself up or you fall off a tile in some way you lose a life when you lose all five lives it's game over a nice touch here is that you can continue where you were um, and you're also given a code to com- to continue as well, which is quite mm. nice as you progress further and further. As you play through the levels, you can bring up a map by pressing the space bar, which is handy on the later levels for planning. Um, so you can see the routes you need to take, but beware, this is a puzzle game, and so nothing is straightforward. The graphics here are very good, very nicely designed sprites in 2D or 3D. The better, in, better looking in 3D, very big and bold, move around really fast. Both look really good. Mm-hmm. 3D view is, as I say, nice and fast. Um, the top-down view is easier on the brain and controls sort of better and more equally. But they're both equally good to play in their own different way. I think just one is just a bit more easy on the brain, on the eye, especially when you're older. I don't know, I just found my isometric computation skills were sadly lacking on this game and I yeah. found myself getting really confused and angry. 
<laughs> so I'm not sure what it says about me, really. It all has a nice bug-free polish. Very, very well put together, this Tony Crowther on form, as always. And nicely and easy to control in that the controls, once you learn them, aside from the angular pain, they are what they are. So you are, and it reminded me of a few other things. The escalating puzzle premise is nice because obviously as you progress through the levels, they get bigger and more difficult. And there are, I think, 160 levels or something. There's well over 100 levels to go at. So you're going to be playing this for a while. The audio is all okay. It's not going to be anyone's top SID list, this, but it's perfectly fine for what it is. Mm -hmm. And the game sounds are all very nice as well. No one's going to get offended by the sounds and it all works in the context of it. There's even some nice little speech samples in there too. All good. I found this to be a really decent puzzle game with a really nice in. And I like games that are like that. This didn't um, have all of the silly controls. And we're going to play, we've played a lot of games with silly controls and there's a lot more in this episode as well. This had nice controls. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm telling you that the isometric controls were difficult. That doesn't mean that they were stupid. They were good for isometric controls. It's not good for a 50-year-old isometric brain that couldn't work out why up was down or whatever. I just I kept getting it wrong. But that's just me. The actual look and feeling of those levels is really, really good. It's got a nice player arc to it, so you can start to get to grips and enjoy it. And then the puzzles and the tiles and the different kinds of bombs and the enemies and the things that are in there, because there's a whole lot of other stuff as well in here. So it's not just about um, those things, but even these this sort of templates for when bombs explode and there's teleporters and spinners and switches. And as you progress through the game, as you can imagine in a game like this, um, it starts to amplify and build into all the complexity. So you have to really start to think about how it's going to work and how you're going to get to those bombs. And you'll find yourself sometimes walking around and then you'll see that there's one single little bomb in the corner. And you think, why, why didn't I, why is that there? Oh, so you think, right. I mean, and the good thing about this, it's got a nice, I felt it had a nice uh, end, end level start again. It's fight. It's quite, and I mean, but I mean, is it's fast. So there's not yeah. some kind of yeah. annoying sequence that happens. And then don't do any of that. It's like in game, so go. <laughs> it's like, go, go, go. It's really prescient. It's really fast. And I really liked it for that because I was restarting this quite a lot because of the isometric <laughs> view. Yeah. Um, so I think this is one of the, you know, one of the great C64 little puzzle games, isn't it? It's really nice and unusual. I think Tony Crowther must have taken some kind of calming tablets or something because he used to do these games that were rock hard and insanely hard. This one isn't hard. It's difficult and challenging, but there's an arc to it. You can get better at it. There's something here for a bit of everyone. This for puzzle mappers, you could, people are going to like that. Weirdly, this reminded me of Rock and Bolt in quite a lot of ways, um, especially the isometric view where you've got to run around yeah, and sort of position yeah, platforms. That, yeah. So, it's, so there's, a, there's a look and feel of Rock and Bolt. Not the same game. I think it's just because it's isometric and you sort of walk around having to do stuff on platforms. But that ain't a bad thing. Um, this is a good old-fashioned puzzle game. Nice to play. I've never played it to any great degree before, ever. There's loads of uh, this kind of thing on mobile games, on mobile now, and there's tons of games like this on mobile. So I think, it, obviously, at the time, it's quite refreshing. Came out of nowhere for me, this, um, but a really, really great game. And even more proof, if some of these other games aren't, you know, with the refined process as it goes on, it's just another reminder that there's still a lot of arcade life in the C64 at this time. It was still there. You could still make really great single-screen, puzzle-based games like this. I really enjoyed Bomboozle. Nice, refreshing change from some of the games we've had to play. Did you enjoy it? I certainly did. Yeah, I, I, I remember playing this. This is one of the few games I remember playing back then because I think uh, Single Load got a gold medal. I was still looking at Zap at this point, and I think I, I managed to get hold of this. Either I'd bought it or I got it from whether J&M was still a going concern by this point or I got it off Gary or something like that. It depends on how that teabag mountain got in that shop. <laughs> Remember he had like a mountain of teabags in the corner, yeah. He had a <laughs> yeah, sign true. saying, it, so they had a sign in front of that saying, with a little, like a pan, or a little cup thing that said, the save the shop fund. And behind that was a mountain of tea bags, used tea bags. <laughs> mountain. Just empty it. 
but it'd have been that's probably why they got shut down it was a tea hazard tea bag hazard but yeah so i remember really liking this back then because it's that kind of game and I, I obviously didn't appreciate why i liked it but i can appreciate that a bit more now and and to be fair you know rat and bish or you know dave bishop and uh, anthony crowther um worked together previously on fernandez must die yeah, I can tell. So, you know, these two have come together. It's the only two games they made together, and they're both excellent. Both excellent. Both taking a genre and doing mm. something different with them. So, you know, they've taken to the puzzle genre, and, and they've produced another, what is it, you know, a great game. This is a really great game. It's fun, and it's infuriating in equal parts. Exactly what you want from a puzzle game. You know, you want that moment of eureka, oh, if I put it there, there, yay. And, and this has a really great sort of uh, cathartic knock-on effect of watching your plan come to fruition. There's a really good, or also watching your carefully laid plan just go up in load of bombs and smoke and you just stood there on a pump i got oh no no clearly it's not going to work why did they do that so it's very close it's a simple premise clear the screen of all bombs but it does soon become a real test to work out the patterns of explosions that one where it's all ice and you've got to go all the way around them to start at the back Uh... and then work your way back it's easy but the first time i did it i did it forwards thinking that the explosion would when i moved off the explosion would stop me on the ice but it didn't i went Oh, I've got to do it backwards, Anna. Of course I have. <laughs> and then went all the way back and then did it. So it's not it's not hard. It's just that moment of going, Yeah, okay, all right, okay. I know the rules. I thought they were I thought I could break them, but clearly I can't. Fair enough. <laughs> nope. So there's loads of good stuff in this. And when you you know factor in the fact that you've got different types of bombs, you move them about and there's the tracks, and sometimes like, where do I move that? Which end of the track do I need to put that one to detonate? And which bomb do I detonate? And where do I stand after it all? Yeah, it's really good. And you know, I just I just really like this. Uh, and I always have. I thought it's a really good game. Trying to work out the optimal path through a level, or even any path, you know, is a it, it gets the brain working. Yeah, it gets really tricky. Uh, like you, I preferred it in 2D. I couldn't get my head around the 3D controls. I think up should be top right. That's just yeah, the way... that's what I was doing. I think that's what I was trying to do and it kept yeah, going wrong. Yeah, up top left doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work. So when I was, I was igniting a bomb and then pushing down or right because i thought yeah. it was you know, down or whatever and it would, it would go but to go bottom right i was like no, yeah. no that's not down so i don't know because i think it's down isn't it because we normally play isometric going left bottom left to top right so that's up we're going forward yeah. that, it feels yeah. so it feels wrong it feels a bit wrong but anyway it doesn't matter because you can play it in 2d and because you can play it in 2d it yep. automatically becomes completely playable and that's a really clever touch i don't think i would have liked this as much if it didn't have that but it does so it makes up for it completely because it's exactly the same game just from a different viewpoint so uh, you know certainly up there with the best puzzle games on the machine and yeah probably worthy of its gold medal because it's a really really clever idea done really really well ace presentation good music good graphics you know nice password system i don't know what else you could really do to it yeah, loads and loads of levels graphics aren't they yeah i really liked it i really liked bomb oozle it is good <laughs> but yeah, bomb oozle. I say bomb oozle because I've seen description that some people do call it that because it's got a split on the title screen. But I think yeah, bomb, it, it be should that. be bomboozle, isn't it? Because that's the word, isn't it? To be bomboozled or bamboozled. I'm that a version of this hasn't made it into some kind of Mario minigame variant because it's got it's very sure Mario is. feeling, isn't it? I'm pretty sure there's probably something like this in one of the Mario parties or something with bombs exploding and stuff. Toadie in it or something. Yeah, probably. But as you say, I did. Well, I was thinking the same thing while I was playing this. What you said as well that. This is a mo- mobile fodder, oh, you know. Nice. You know, drag you drag that bomb where you want. You move your thing. You tap the screen. Which one you want to yeah. set off? But yeah, really, really good game. Bomboozle. Yes, good start. Good start to the month. Long good may start. it continue. Gold, a gold medal starts. Good. A gold medal starts to the month. Yeah. Long may it continue. Let's go on to our next one. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> no, ne- I'm going to rearrange them next week to put the best one second. 
<laughs> I don't know why. It's just that you fall into that trap, don't you? We start off strong and then just well, we have out. to. You know, it's, it's contrast and compare. Contrast all, and compare. It's all downhill. Anyway, this is uh, Power Pyramids. This is nine pound ninety five. Another puzzle game, isn't it? I always like a good puzzle game, as we've, as we've just found out. And when I saw yes. the Power Power Pyramids was an action puzzler, I thought that maybe Zap had got this all wrong with their eighteen percent review. <laughs> um, and went into this with high hopes. We've got high hopes. Apple pie in the sky hopes. <laughs> yeah. So this is from Quicksilver, full price nine ninety five. I said it was coded by Eclipse, whoever they are. Total Eclipse. Yeah, who knows? It's got music by Andy Brown, uh, and according to the title screen, graphics by Poser Inc. None of this. Very twelve. The story, as it goes, <laughs> the story to this. I don't, did you read the story to this? No, I did not bother. All right, well, sit down. Because <laughs> there's more stories to this than you think. The story to this, uh, the story, as it goes, involves transporting pyramids across space. I didn't get that from the game, strangely. <laughs> hang on, so. hang on, hang on. You see, the planet T-Pidge, Ty-Pidge, I think it's T-P-Y-G-E, to pidge Ty-Pidge. I don't know how you pronounce Tapage, had a bit of a monopoly on pyramid construction long ago and sold them to all the planets across the galaxy. They were selling pyramids like it was going out of business. Not wanting <laughs> to miss out on a bit of pyramid action, the Egyptians ordered four of them in basic, super, grand and royale models. <laughs> <laughs> like caravans. Yeah, I don't know, exactly. <laughs> the speedster, the hulkster. The royale. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's what they call it in France anyway. Um <laughs> Now, the Tepidians realized that transporting the pyramids across space with all the power switched on was far too much to pay. It's just a waste of money. So uh, it was way too much in delivery costs. So they turned the pyramids off until they re- they turned the pyramids power off to the pyramids off until they reached their destination. Whereupon okay. it was the job of the delivery driver of turning them back on again. But what reason they were being <laughs> okay. turned on? What power? They- I don't know. Why do they I, need I power? don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Hence the name Power Pyramids. Ah, uh, that's why. Yes. So this is a game about transporting pyramids across the galaxy, sort of thing, and then turning the power back onto them because you're a you're a delivery driver. You're a sort of you're a glorified okay. galaxy DHL driver. That's what you are. It's not quite what I got from it, but okay. <laughs> well, I'm not making any of that up. You can go read the manual. No, no, it's no. I totally, absolutely believe it. Yeah, so yes, your job is to power up the pyramids in a flick screen puzzler type thing. So when the game loads, we have an irritating tune playing, very irritating, and the option of playing through either of the four pyramids with the press of the F key. So F1 is the basic, F3 is the super, F5 is the grand, and F7 is the royale with cheese. Pressing fire gets you into the game, (laughs) and you control a constantly moving ball that rolls in one direction until it hits something and then reverses direction. Kind of like a lemming, I guess. Yeah, Um, yeah, fast moving ball shaped lemming. Yeah, it's much faster. Anyway, the screen is split. Top three quarters showing the present room you're in from side on. It's 2D side on view. And the bottom showing a confusing UI with a number of bars and numbers. I had very little understanding of what meant what. One bar represents the speed the ball will move at. One of the numbers is the lives left. But beyond that, I don't really have a clue. Plus, nothing is really explained in this, and the instructions I could find didn't really help either. Nothing was explained in them, so I had no idea what anything meant. So the ball moves constantly, constantly. The only control you have is pressing fire to make the ball jump. So you press fire, the ball will jump, okay? If you move the joystick, certain things, it makes certain things on the screen work. For example, there are launch pads that will fire the ball upwards if you move the joystick while the ball is rolling over them. Or there are platforms that can be rotated to allow the ball to move up or down a level. There are also... 
I'm going to say generators that you can roll into, which make one of the counters go up, which, so you can change the speed of the ball. And there are switches which turn things on should you roll over them, allowing you to bypass hazards a little easier. There's like swords and stuff, along with teleporters that take you to different parts of the level. So the object is to turn on the power points on each level of the pyramid to complete it and then move on to the next, more trickier one. The first pyramid only has 14 screens to navigate and the last one has 54. And that's about it, really. And the main issue here, as rightly pointed out by Zap, is that the control system is annoying and frustrating. So puzzle games live or die on the ability for the player to read the screen, the puzzle in front of them, and act accordingly to solve it. We've just seen this in Bomboozle. You play it from the top, you can immediately see what you've got to do, and you can try and figure it. Okay. Because this game gives you no time to figure out which way to go, because your ball's constantly moving, what to do, and there's very little guidance in how to complete your mission. There's a load of stuff around the level. Bouncing into anything. So if you bounce into a wall, if you bounce into a sword, you lose a PowerPoint, you lose all your powerpoints you lose a life lose all your lives and you'll they'll go in thinking because you can just end up bouncing around all over the place it's just an annoyance frustration and annoyance will keep it will creep in very quickly it's not helped by an annoying tune that constantly plays uh, and the less than responsive controls flinging your ball into a teleport doesn't help as you have no real no real way of knowing where to go so there's no map or anything or even what to do half the time and i spent most of this just bouncing off things and losing energy when coupled with the story, this is a stupid idea for a game. What advanced civilization would leave the turning on of their mega pyramids to control of a ball rolling about? What, what, they've got the technology to transport huge pyramids across space and to get to the other side. There's no off, what, no, who would buy them? When every time they turned up, the delivery driver had to do one of these tilty ball type puzzles in order to turn them on. You know, these are premium real estate going around the galaxy. Word would spread. Well, we got one. We can't turn the damn thing on. Every time we do, the, the ball dies, and then it's game over, and then we haven't got another one. So we've got this pyramid, which is just there now. It's not turned on. Uh, why is there not just an on switch? <laughs> Plug. <laughs> Plug it in. Yeah. Fundamental design flaw. Even if it goes like to somewhere where it's like in Europe, where you've got to have a you know a, a switch, you know a thingy, a, an adapter. I'm sure they could have built one. They could build these pyramids. They could, you know, universal adapter. Stupid. When you give a game like this that backstory, you invite these questions. <laughs> That's what I thought. And so none of it makes any sense. The game's no fun. This is just annoying and frustrating. I didn't like this. It was stupid. It's a stupid idea. It's an overwrought nonsense. We didn't like the uh, bloody crap boat, which we looked at a while back ago. No, 80%, yeah, fair enough. It's crap. What did you think? <laughs> oh, this thing, honestly. I mean, it was this was a crap vert, wasn't it, that we looked at some time it was, ago? It was a while so, back, so yeah. this is So this is the crap vert made flesh. Um, <laughs> and it's as crap as I thought it would be. I mean, while I suppose you could argue there's some nicely drawn graphics on some of the screens, it was essentially un- an unplayable mess. I, I tried to get to grips with it. I really tried. And I just, it, I just felt, I just ended up with a ball bouncing around, trying to get it where I wanted. And that just didn't happen, no matter what I did. No. It just seemed to ping around and bounce around with no rhyme or reason. Um, I think this has the fastest game start frustration ratio <laughs> any game I've played in a while. <laughs> and we played last V8. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I was like, I, I was trying to do it. I'm like, wait, why? I, I just didn't really get it. And I, you know, like you said, the instructions, what doesn't help you. I can see there's an idea made into something here, but a key concept for any game of any type of game is that it has to be controllable and those controls need to be enabling. So mm-hmm. you need to be able to do the thing that the game is asking you to do with the controls. And I get it, you know, the ball's moving, you bounce and everything, but no. And th- these ball bounce games, I mean, the, the, nobody likes them particularly. I mean, Cauldron 2 and he just got away with it. Yeah, there was that other one we saw the other week, one, the Caterball or whatever, it was and <laughs> yeah, it was okay I mean. but yeah that sort of had it's because there were nice short little punchy levels it wasn't trying to do all this navigate the environment and get it to bounce up 
and I kept moving the little trampoline thing. I'm like, what are you doing? It kept going off when I didn't want it to. And I'm like, what? what's going on? Anyway, so you just lack the ability here to greatly affect anything. That means it's out of control. For yep. the same reasons I don't like the, un- that I didn't like that uncontrollable future crown green bowling netball fusion that we played <laughs> last time. I don't like this for the same reason. It just felt like something was happening and I was just being made to watch it and I wasn't really part of it. Yeah. Classic game design error, isn't it? Never assume that your audience can control it the way you can when you design it, or indeed that anyone will want to play it because of that. Yeah, classic. I've seen that happen a few times with with games where they, you know they, you're watching somebody playing like, well, they're really, and they're really good at it. Then they hand you the control and it's completely uncontrollable. And you're like, they're like, oh, can't you do it? I'm like, no, <laughs> control's <laughs> no, stupid. It's not the it's not the only game we'll see with that kind of problem. Uh, no, this, this episode right out of my mouth. Yes. This is kind of the, it's been a bit of a theme of the past, this in the past episode. Anyway, so, so when, as I said, when you have an audience, you create this game and nobody can play it, you know what? Well, no one's enjoying it. They don't, I didn't, you can't, we won't, they, they, no one's going to enjoy it. <laughs> no. There's some, some okay music in there somewhere, I guess. Nice colors, I suppose, if that's, you know, the best you can say. I'm trying to pull out nice things about it, but all for nothing. If you feel like you're not controlling the very thing in the game you're meant to be in control of, and what the hell has all that got to do with pyramids? <laughs> Pyramids in space. <laughs> My last comment for this, end of line. Which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is just stupid. It reminded me as well of that other game we played a while back, that uh, side sideways scrolling Blake breakout thing. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember the name yeah. of it though, but you know the one I yeah, mean? The, the one with the, yeah, the way you had the little triangle thing. Remember, we couldn't go yes. bat triangle, bat ball, triangle ball, ball triangle. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. One, yeah <laughs> that, that thing. Um, yes. Just ideas that should never be given you know gestation periods yes, like, yes exactly you, you think of them and then you you prototype and you go that don't work you no, move exactly on. have they not seen that alien movie where the guys made all them different alien eggs like look just don't make alien eggs all right yeah <laughs> it's it's yeah it's, it's it should be one of the this ten is, commandments it's this is this is a wet egg of a game so <laughs> don't look over a wet egg thou shall not make scrolling ball <laughs> games no <laughs> Bouncing going, stupid, stupid. No, 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 no. No, we didn't like power pyramids. It was very no, silly. We didn't. No. Let's move along. We've got one more this half, uh, and we'll see what that's like. And Graham, this is over to you. This is Scorpion, <laughs> nature's best best uh, arachnid. <laughs> Not Scorpio. We've had that the other time. Or Scorpius. Had, or Scorpius. This is Scorpion, not Scorpioff. <laughs> Scorpion, uh, scorpion, scorpion, scorpion. I don't know what that means, hurts. Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been stung by a scorpion, Daniel San. <laughs> and I'm feeling kind of woo. Um, anyway, this is two ninety nine from Racket, which is old budget Houston, isn't it? Yeah, fifty six percent created by Mark Washbrook. The title screen is uh, Stephen Robertson. That's Sir to you and me, legendary Cheers, Sir, the sir. man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you know, he once punched a horse unconscious. <laughs> Um, just one of those interesting facts that you find maybe is true, or maybe Did not. not we don't call know, him really. sir. It, no, you must see. That's why we do. It is true. Exactly. He, he commands the respect of all horses and other creatures of the universe, known and unknown. And of course, e- the musician here, <laughs> equine. He is, yeah, he is the equine speak. I don't know what I'm talking about. The musician is Mar- Marcel Donnet. So, so Scorpion. Then there's a little blurb. I, it's, it's a nice little blurb on this. Thankfully, the new Scorpion battle machine has just been designed and needs to be put to the test it has been given the task of stopping a simulated sabotage of modern oil refinery this is off the back of their box not of a modern oil refinery note if successful Mm -hmm. it will be included into the country's main defenses such a niche way of testing a tank it seems to be okay (laughs) you've been given the job of getting the tank through the test by its creators 
game. There you go. All right. So just as a word of the gameplay, maneuver your scorpion tank over the pipeline network, trying to destroy the two bomb layers, the jelly type alien. But you must also collect all the time bombs left on the pipes before their timers detonate. You have 60 seconds to achieve this to complete each level. I don't know who wrote this, but the clearly train of thought was going off and the synapses were firing all over the place because they're interrupting their own sentences with bracket sentences. It's really bizarre. Um, on later levels, the pipes open and close to hinder you even more. And as a bonus, for each bomb diffused, you are given an extra five seconds. Right, okay. Okay. That's it. So it says here, interestingly, the sound is by the Maniacs of Noise on the box. So maybe it is. Maybe, I mean, guess Marcel Donny, I think he was part of the Maniacs of Noise. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's what it is. That's it. It is what it is, what it is. So while there is a reasonable title screen here, and a good loading screen, of course, from Sir uh, Stephen, um, that's uh, Sir to you and me, the game is a bit of a dreary old thing. On your quest for bombs and I'm sensing a theme this episode here, Yeah, um, you must control your ship along the pipes with pixel-perfect accuracy for turning. Oh, sir. It's Auto-Man. It's Auto-Man it's turning. Auto- <laughs> it's, it's, it'll turn you into an Auto-Maniac. This is quickly frustrating, to say the least. <laughs> now, this is the other game, the second game we've played, which has an alarming start game to frustration ratio. Yeah. Now, this one got me quite angry quite quickly as well, because um, when I say turning with pixel accuracy, not only do you have to do accuracy, you have to do it quickly which means that it's going to be hit and miss on this really annoying follow the ship along the pipes thing. And because it's hit and miss, it's really bloody annoying. Really annoying. You can't seem to destroy enemies. I'm not sure what I was doing. I was just kind of firing something at them and just kind of, there, <laughs> yeah. there. Just kind of, what was, is it meant to blow them up? What was it doing? It's, what was it doing? It's pushing them back. What? Anyway, so I couldn't shoot the enemies. I couldn't really avoid them because it was next to impossible to navigate the maze of pipes. So I managed to get to sort of get to collect a couple of the bombs, but I was quickly dead in seconds because one one of the enemies came running along a pipe and I couldn't get off the pipe to get away from it. So I was killed in the game. Uh, The main game window is a text line across the top with a score time lives and bombs. Under that is the bewildering game view, which is a medium res shaded array of pipes that scroll. Admittedly, there's a nice parallax scrolling effect there to give it some depth, I guess. And the sprite design, while not fabulous, it's all right, but... Scrolling across the pipes and trying to make the turns quickly becomes so annoying that you'll bounce right off this quicker than a bouncing ball in a pyramid. And that's, yeah. you know, that's quite prescient, really, isn't it? Yeah. So I bounced straight off this. The music and the interstitial sounds, etc., they're all pretty good. They're okay. Indeed, I thought there was some care in the graphics. The, the look of the graphics and the pipes and the shading and everything. I had a demo, demo-y vibe about it, but it looked all right. And sort of nice colors and shading, you know, good, quite clever use of brown, actually, shades of brown. But it, was, it worked quite well in its, in its own way. But this is, again... Another example of needing to test your games properly because you've got to give players controls that they can actually operate the game with. I could move around the pipes as long as I was on a pipe, but as soon as I needed to go up and down or try and turn my little spaceship thing, because you control a little sprite on these pipes and the other enemies are you know a single sprite of size coming mm-hmm. towards you when you collect the little blobs. But trying to navigate the pipes was so annoying in this because it was just meant I ended up getting snagged on them all the time. I couldn't quite get where I wanted to do. You got a very short amount of time to do these levels, and before long, death was wasn't far behind. And then what followed shortly after that was the famous sound of me going no and switching things off. <laughs> so I didn't get really very far into this because I just couldn't get could get to grips with the with the nuances of pixel perfect control that it required. It's I suppose it's sort of an interesting idea to te- road test tanks in an oil pipeline. Something tells me that's a dangerous thing to do. But anyway, all that decent production, what is probably a reasonably interesting idea, I guess, quickly becomes a forgettable snooze because you need to switch it off and go and have a snooze to rest your brain from all the frustration. It's too hard to control. I know it's three quid, but it's three quid worth of time and money wasted if you can't control it and have any fun doing it. I didn't like it. So it got 56%. 
I think it's high for this because I don't think there's a playable game in there, or at least there's not a playable game of any fun that I had. About you? I think I understood it a bit more because I did figure out what to do. So I, I, there's not much more to say about it. It's got a nice front end, a really great music, I thought. I really like the music on the, on the title screen. It's a really nice piece of music. And so, like you said, some nice parallax scrolling. But yeah, for, when I first played it, I beetled about a bit. I ran over some bombs, got killed, shot some things, found it tricky to navigate anything. I so there's get anywhere with that navigation. Yeah, and it didn't work. So nothing much happened. So what you then I figured, figured out there's 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 different types of enemies that move about, and there's there's these little bubbly ones, and if you shoot them, they go through a series of colours, and they're the ones that are laying the bombs. So you have to destroy them. And then I think there's two on the first level. Once you've destroyed them, you then just got to go around, pick up all the bombs that are left, and then you move on to the next level. That's it. So there's it's 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 those enemies you've got to sort of hunt down and track down while avoiding the other ones because the other if you shot only just repel the other ones. There's only one type of enemy, and that's the bomb laying bubbly type ones that uh, you got to kill. It doesn't I'm make it any better because once I figured it out, I had to go. But is it the same in the next level as well? It's uh, well, it's browner. Yeah, but is it the same thing yes. running around? Yeah, boring pipes. Yeah, it's out, exactly the same. Yeah. I didn't see any difference. So it's that. It's this. You play. You you played that first level. You played it. This just what to do. Um, it's not particularly interesting. I don't know the death sound, and I also found the death sound effects and the music stem were really loud. Loud and long. Loud and long. It's was a bit, bit too long, wasn't it? Um, it's three quid. You know, maybe it should have been one ninety nine. Fifty percent is fifty six percent. It is a bit high for this because I don't think there's much of an interesting game here. The guy who did this is Mark Washbrook. He's more of a graphics artist, I think, because he did the graphics for um, that Battle Valley. That was um, pretty good. Yeah, but he did the graphics for that, and that was coded by someone else. He also works on the graphics for Stormlord 2 as well. Look, it had a nice production. Yeah, but... nice value sort of thing, but there's not mm. much in the way of game design here, and it's a bit repetitive, yeah. and it's a bit, yeah, it's nice graphics, nice stuff, but the game is severely lacking in any kind of thing. And as you said, it, it is very frustrating trying to navigate those auto man style 90-degree turns everywhere. So no, I didn't, I didn't particularly like this, but it was it's just a bit annoying, but maybe 40% or something, I don't know, but it's not. It's not one of the worst yeah. we've seen, but it's just a bit bland and a bit frustrating. Bland, below average. Yeah, just below average, yeah. There we go. Scorpion. Good, you know, it's a good name, Scorpion. It should be attached to something better. There is a, yeah, but there we go. Never mind. Anyway, that's it. Only three games this half. Good one, bad one, average one. There we go. Can't have everything, yeah. can you? You cannot have everything. Yeah. We're going to go away now, take a quick break. We're coming back, see what was going on for Christmas TV. Christmas telly. What was going on on Christmas telly in the UK in 1988, December? Let's let's go away, take a break, and let's find out. Now, if I could just make it out past Dizzo, I don't think the cops will ever discover this contraband I'm carrying. I'm going to be rich. Wait, oh no, it's a police viper. Right, Cobra Mark Three pilot, let's be having you. What's in the cargo hold then? Ah, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing of interest, sir. Just some textiles and willow pattern plates from Lave. Really? I see some books and audio books back there. David Hearn's Case of the Notorious Roboticist, Starfarers and Thanians in Space, and a copy of Back in Time for a Donut. But I was hungry. And you've got them in audiobook form and paperback. You know books are illegal in this system. No copy of Escape from the Commodore 64, though. Well, well, I I could grab it next time and maybe give it to you for your trouble. Mm, On your way, then. Move along and watch out for Thargoids. That was a close one. For more details on cargo just like mine, hyperjump over to davidhernwriter.com. Now, just a dock at that space station without a docking computer. (laughs) 
And we're back. We're back for Christmas telly. Time to uh, sit down, eat lots of chocolate and stuff and get stuffed right. on the on the sofa and see what's going on. Well, before we get to Christmas, before all the Christmas stuff starts gets going, 1st of December, ITV's Oracle Teletext service launches Park Avenue, a Teletext-based Ooh. soap opera written by Robert Burns, <laughs> and it runs until they lose its franchise at the end of 1992. A teletext-based soap opera. Were you aware of this? No, not at all. I'd not heard of it. And it sort of makes sense as well, um, like a sort of text-based novella. I wonder if someone's been, you know, someone somewhere has got all of the text off that and written it down somewhere. I don't know. I didn't look. Because, I mean, if it's lost in time, that could have been, there could have been some amazingly brilliant stuff written in that that nobody knows about. It's just like lost in time. Somebody was paid a lot, but, you know, a chunk, a chunk of money for a, I can't imagine it. I just... <laughs> Robert Burns just, was. Just Robbie keep, Burns. Not keep it... Noise down back there. I'm trying to read read me soap opera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mummy's reading her soaps. <laughs> What's it? Do, do it have any like characters? Is it about anything? I, I know nothing about it. I mean, n- nothing. Of... You can find nothing. I tried to find something out about it. It's not a great deal out there. No. Um, um, sort of lost in time. The the Oracle and the, the CFAX services. They're you know they're just. Oh, it does say that. Were... It does say that readers would sometimes be invited to vote by phone to decide on story outcomes. And there's at least one competition asking readers to suggest ideas for new characters and stories for Park Avenue. Viewers were also able to purchase printouts of episodes with seven episodes typically costing two quid. Somebody must have them somewhere. They must have. I'd love to see them. I'd love to read them. But they're fascinating. It went to uh, Channel 4 in uh, 1991 and then to six days instead of seven. Do you think it'd be like that term soap opera that was in the day-to-day? The one that set in the... (laughs) the uh, bureau. (laughs) The bureau. I could have shot the bureau for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Maria! That's it. It's exactly what it was like, written like that. <laughs> I reckon well. so. But each episode would usually have six to ten pages of text. It's quite a lot. It is quite a lot. It used to be on page 126. Wow. I don't know. I've never read this. It's very strange. I didn't spend a lot of time on Oracle, I have to say, but... Exactly. One character decided to stop buying beef following the 1990 <laughs> BSE scare, while another found himself caught up in a riot at a local <laughs> prison during a time when a riot at Manchester's Strangeways Prison oh had inspired gosh. a number of copycat rights in jails across England, yeah. Wow. There we go. It, it remains the only that. soap of its kind in the United Kingdom. Yeah. It's a, I mean, that's why I, I'd like to sort of see that, because those things are really unique and quirky Britain, but also very unique. And that's that's lost in time somewhere, I fear, which is crazy. Yeah. I just say here, for a while, many episodes appeared on the website of Paramount Comedy Channel's Teletext service. What? I didn't know they had one. Neither did I. What's this all about? <laughs> What's going on in the world? What is this dark world? <laughs> this is the dark web of TV. <laughs> need the tour. <laughs> Yeah. to get onto this. The yeah. TV to get onto it, yeah. It's very bizarre, isn't it? Really it weird. Is. It is. Surprised we, I'm surprised we didn't know about it, because it would have been something we probably would have loved to... That's, if it's too subversive for us, that tells you that it must have been well on the like lower rung of the radar. Yeah, it must have we'd been. Have wanted, you know, we, we wanted stuff down that should never be talked about and found <laughs> it, you know. That, that is true, we did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, something that should never be talked about, 3rd of December, comedian Steve Tandy wins New Faces of 88. Oh, well done, Steve. Well done, well done. What's, has he had much of a career since then? No idea. You can hire him for 500 okay. quid. 500 quid? Yeah, we'll put his website in the show notes. If you fancy a decent entertainer <laughs> for an evening, you know, one of your corporate events or something like that, pop onto uh, IMG Entertainment's website, look up Steve Tandy. We'll put the link in there. 500 quid is yours for the night. If he gets any business out of us, we should get some commission. Yeah, well, we might. You know, we might. He'll send us a message saying, thanks for the uh, thanks for the mention. Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all right, Steve. Uh, you can count on us. Just uh, just join the Patreon. 
We'll look after you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> just join the Patreon. <laughs> oh, dear. 10th of December, Channel 4 is the Marathon Charity Rock Concert, Human Rights Now. Another one that bypassed me completely. Another. How many of these have there been now? Well, it's been quite a few that we've missed. I mean, another one I missed. I mean, admittedly, Bruce Springsteen that did it, then the E Street Band, Sting, Peter Gabriel, Tracy Chapman, and Yusun Ndur. So it's the usual um, usual culprits. Yeah, they're not. none of them are really acts that were on my playlist at the time, should we say. So I'm not really going to be that interested. I have a feeling I've bits of it have seen on TV here and there, but not at the time. Yeah, it's a marathon charity rock concert, though. Marathon. So that means it went better things day. to do in December. <laughs> 10th of December, yeah. I don't know. How long did it go on for? Let me have a look. It played to a lot of people. The yeah. tour featured big concerts at big stadiums. Camp Nou, 90,000 people. Nepstadion, 80,000. Wow. JFK Stadium, 78,000. River Plate Stadium, 75,000. And Harare, wow. 75,000. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I really did. They played all over. It was an actual full-on tour. Yeah. Mm, weird. Yeah. Weird, weird, Bruce Springsteen weird. and Sting in the same trailer. How weird is that? <laughs> I hear Sting's hey, a really Bruce. good digger. <laughs> hey, Bruce. Any chance I could borrow any noodles? <laughs> Get out! No! <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. You weren't... Born in the USA. <laughs> no, I'm just an Englishman in New York, Bruce. <laughs> I, look, I, I think trying to think of some witty Peter Gabriel-based pun, but there aren't any. <laughs> Do you like my haircut? No. <laughs> Get, Get out, out, Gabriel. <laughs> um, 11th of December is the launch date of the Astra satellite, Woo! which will provide television coverage to Western Europe and is revolutionary as one of the first medium-powered satellites allowing reception with smaller dishes than has previously been possible. Aye, yeah. mini dish. Yeah, As it was called, dish. the Astra 1A uh, was yes. operate, launched and operated by SES, Society European des Satellites. I apologise yes. for that pronunciation. That sounds like a Vangelis album, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it provided television coverage to Western Europe from 89 to 2004, uh, when it was retired and became derelict. <laughs> In oh, December God. 2004. Oh, it's, just, it's still up there floating around with nothing to do. Game derelict. Among the <laughs> channels carried in the early years after launch with the entire four channels, Sky TV. Um, four channels, goodness. Four channels. Consists of Sky Channel, Sky News, Sky Moves and Eurosport. The Scandinavian TV3 and TV1000. The German Pro7, Sat1, RTL Plus, 3Sat and Teleclub. The Dutch RTL4. Mm. As well as Filmnet, ScreenSport, MTV Europe, Children's Channel and Lifestyle. Now, my who I used to babysit for had one of these um oh. and so i was not averse to them coming home late because i would always tune it to rtl something or other at about 11 o'clock <laughs> at night when it got a little blue <laughs> it did didn't it that time used to be a bit you know racy did it like, it, late well because it was it was german or dutch or whatever it was right. and that they, they they were not the same as what you got on british broadcasting no, they were not all got a bit bizarre on extreme at that point in time <laughs> it so. really did so uh i would always be listening quietly out for the uh the uh, key in the keyhole um, at the door, so if you turn it back to a, a more British channel, shall we say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had my eyes opened a few times and look at watching things at, on did. that channel. So, what is uh, he doing with that Schwanstucker? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, right up the mini dish. <laughs> oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I found you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear good old astro one yes um, bless it 13th of december central is the final episode of sons and daughters making it the first itv region to complete the series well, many many people had we had cried tears of laughter and sadness on that day i can tell you <laughs> 
They would have done. Yeah, they fin- finally it came to an end. There was people cheering in the street. Thank <laughs> God. It's finished. It's finally finished. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only in Central, though. So it's just the, you know, Leicestershire and Nottingham, I guess, and places around there, Derbyshire. Yeah, that's, they won the race, that's all. I mean, when these things end, do they end, end? Is it just like everyone in the street or whatever gets together and they go, right, see ya. Does <laughs> it just end? Does just, just people just go about the night? I don't, I don't know how the end of series. Like well, that's this, the thing with it. soaps, isn't it? Because they're, they're continuing storylines, so they just stop. Yeah. They just stop. So, I mean, so they just stop. So in, in reality, what they do is just, you're not part of their lives anymore, so get out. Yeah, true. So you're, you're actually rejected from soap operas. Or maybe all the sons and daughters died. Wow, okay. Well, that <laughs> so the, makes that so picture of uh, Barry Gibb that you've put there all the, <laughs> because, more, all the more relevant. Because you wrote they win. <laughs> you win again. <laughs> he pops up every time you say that. Yeah, he does. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, you uh, win in again. Case, in case he tried to get too cocky, I put a picture of Conan about to chop his head off. I that. He's like, ah, we've won again. <laughs> Which is what I thought that was a quote too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it is. <laughs> yeah, they do win. Good old Central, they always win. They win everything. 22nd of December, singer Nana Cherry performs her singer Buffalo Stance on Top of the Pops while seven months pregnant. Something that goes on to cause a furore in the media. Unbelievable. I watched the entire video on Top of the Pops as well. She, I mean, she, you could barely see that she's pregnant. It's not obvious. It's not like she's some, you know, she's she's heavily pregnant. I mean, she obviously she's seven months, so she's pretty far gone that. But so who cares? She's very yeah, exactly. She's a neat, but I don't get why it's an issue. Why can't people sing when they're pregnant? They're not allowed. <laughs> no, they're not, they're not allowed on our tellies. You know, pregnancy is to be hushed to us. But I mean, you put who did this year? Well, this is the UK, isn't it? You know, we're complaining yeah. about anything. I mean, we used to have a True. show hosted by Terry Wogan, wholly devoted to people writing in to complain about stuff. Yes, you that's know, true. Points of view. Points of view, yeah. People would have been, why, oh, why would a woman go on television pregnant singing? I don't understand it. Blah, 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 blah. That goodness Pregnant women should be at home being looked after and not heard. Yeah, she shouldn't have to be out there earning money for herself. What's she doing? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. Yeah. Uh, 24th of December, Christmas Eve highlights on BBC One include the network television premiere of the 1985 family film Santa Claus the Movie with Dudley Moore and the 1985 Ooh. thriller, not family film, Jagged Edge <laughs> with Jeff Bridges and Glenn two. Close. <laughs> Good job they don't show those back to back. The Santa Claus the movie is a, actually a favourite movie of my wife. She is a huge fan of that. So yeah. we have to watch that every year. And in all fairness, over time, over the many years now, I've come to sort of understand, <laughs> come to terms with having to watch it. You know, the same little bits that happen and it's got <laughs> some really naff VFX. Every way and every day you're getting better. <laughs> getting better and better. <laughs> better. Um, and, you know, it's it's a nice film. And, and it, what Jagged Edge isn't, is a, it's not a nice film. No, so, no, no. I think we spoke about Jagged Edge when it came out did. of cinema way, yeah, way back. Because I watched it yes, for it. we did, yeah. We um, did. And it's not a Christmas film. I wouldn't say it was Christmas Eve, you know, really. I mean, no, a woman gets bound and gagged and raped and murdered in a bed as far as I can remember. It's not shouting Merry Christmas, <laughs> not really. It's not really. Said. No, no, it's yeah. not. Not in the slightest. No. However, let's get on to Christmas Day. 25th of December, the final edition of It's a Knockout to air on BBC One is another celebrity special. It's a charity knockout from Walt Disney World. Featuring mm. teams of celebrities from the UK, the US, and Australia. Although the mm. series would return to S4C in 1991. No, That's it could niche. Never get rid of it. Every, every time they say it, they're like, 
right, this is the last one now. That's it. It's like, <laughs> it's like it oh, should we do another one? Yeah, because this is like the fourth time they've said it's the last, it's the final, it's the absolute final. It's one. what they pro- it's what they promise. They promise to be the last one this time. I promise the last time. Well, the last at the one end of the, do. at the end of the very last one on S4C, they actually there's actually a pool of lava at the end that they run into, and that's it. Right, there's no the cost- <laughs> everyone's dead. The costumes are gone. It's the end. For God's sake, move on. Done. No more now. <laughs> it's an actual knockout. <laughs> <laughs> With Frank Bruno. Frank Bruno. Um, uh, also, 25th December, Ding Dong Merrily is the London London's burning Christmas special and the only mm. episode of the series to have a title. It on ITV as part of its Christmas Day lineup. Hey, happily burned stuff. Hey, yeah, you know, you know that because London's burning is the, is the fire brigade equivalent of causality. So, or the bill, you know, or stuff like or that. Or the bill, it? yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're, not, they're all of the same ilk. This, uh, you know, it's not Christmas Day stuff, though, is it, really? I mean, I suppose East End has always been on Christmas Day, isn't it, with a tragedy or drama? So yeah, it's that's true. That tradition. Yeah, we like Ooh. to watch things worse off to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, nothing says happy Christmas, enjoy your pudding, more than a house being burnt down and people being rescued out of it. Well, you know, it's a feel-good story for the ages. I bet, I bet you it's started by a bloody Christmas pudding being sat on fire. It's bound to be. I reckon it would be that as well. Blue Peter decorations or something that someone's tried to create one that they used the wrong sellotape and it's, you know, flammable. <laughs> did you check the uh, tinsel was not anti-flammable? You know, did you check any of that? You know, when you lit the candle, when it went up and the curtains went up, did you think about that, did you? Did they, you? Said it was, they said it was inflammable. But that means the same yes. as flammable. Those damn words. <laughs> yes, and you've cut all the little tags off the back of your sofa so you don't know if they're fire protective, do you? <laughs> now we can't give away to charity when, when we've done with them. <laughs> exactly. They won't take them. They won't. They just won't take they them. They won't have them. Also, other Happy Christmas, Christmas <laughs> Day highlights on BBC One include the network television premiere of Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis' 1985 blockbuster sci-fi comedy, Back to the Future. Oh, it's a good film, though. That is a good oh, yeah. Christmas Day film. Cracker film. As well as the 1984 Western adventure, Silverado, Starring Kevin Klein and Kevin Costner. Not as good. Not as good. No. good. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. No, that's, that's BBC's. On I, over on ITV, the movie highlight is the network television premiere of the epic 1980s Star Wars sequel, The Empire Strikes Back. Pretty good. It's a little, a little late, but it's pretty good to have it on. You know, finally. Yeah. yeah what is it? Eight years. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's weird to think back now. Yeah. To think back that it's eight takes eight years for a film to get from cinema screens to TV screens. TV to network TV. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just nerd of now, isn't it? No. Now, I mean, now with modern technology, it's like eight minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's before it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes, sometimes it has been. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching films sometimes. And I'm not proud of it, but I have before they're actually on the cinema, which is ridiculous. Yes, it's like, what's going on? But back then we had to wait eight years. I mean, it'd been on video. <laughs> eight years. It's crazy. But eight years to get to the TV. That's crazy. And we didn't have any other way. So it wasn't like, oh, it went to Netflix, it went to Sky, it, went to, it just took eight years before you could just sit down and actually watch it on telly. And then if you no. forgot to record it, you had to wait another three years something for it to show up again. And I'm wondering if that is where the famously said with Darth Vader instead of Darth Vader. <laughs> was that on Empire Strikes Back or was that it yes, with any of them, wasn't it? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Empire Strikes Back. And now on ITV, it's the Empire Strikes Back with Darth Vader. <laughs> Why would you even pronounce it with this soft A? <laughs> Because it's it's stupid Redfuss, isn't it? It's Redfuss, and he's, he did what he wanted. <laughs> Does he think it's what's supposed to have aim, supposed to rhyme with Darth Darth Vader? Darth Darth, Darth Vader. <laughs> it's not a scary sounding, is it? For some reason, it's no. Lord of the Sith. Let me introduce Lord of the Sith. Darth Vader. Everyone is sorry, just tearing I think, it. Sorry, I think you'll find it's Lord of the Scythe. <laughs> it's like pff, Darth what? Darth Vader. <laughs> this is Darth Maul, Darth Vader, and all the we're all here. <laughs> 
<laughs> with Yoda. <laughs> Yoda. <laughs> Oi, Yoda, come here. <laughs> Good old Yoda. Yoda. Oi, Yoda. What you want? God's sake. I'm trying to do everything here. Can only juggle so many rocks. Bloody hell, what you want to do? Lift a spaceship out of the swamp again, you idiot. Don't park it there. Told you. What accent is that? I don't know. It's, it's Yodder's. It's Yodder's voice. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you encountered anyone from Dagobah? <laughs> Dagobah. <laughs> uh, with Lucky, Lucky, Lucky Skywalker. <laughs> it's Yodder from Dagobah. Oi, oi, oi. Yodder. If Yoda had that kind of sort of cocky voice. All right, mate. Hey, hey, judge me by my size, would you? Who? <laughs> you have the same word intonation, but just not. So not before the same. Luke, do or do not, there is no try. All right, <laughs> get on with it. Yeah, your sister is. All right, just get over it. <laughs> She's your sister. That's your mate. Get on with it, Bosh. <laughs> <laughs> Get that bloody t- <laughs> X-wing out my swamp! <laughs> be hilarious. You got some sort of angry sort of East End guy as a as Yoda. Yoda. <laughs> Yoda. Oi! Get that bloody android off you my. Can't park that there. <laughs> C three P. What? You can't translate shit. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Good and so Yoda. forth. And so on. 26th of December, <laughs> BBC One is Civvy Street, a spin-off. This makes no sense to me. A spin-off episode of EastEnders set during World War Two. Yeah, they did like a what 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 the uh, the square was like when it was back in the war because of course London was heavily bombed, wasn't it? So okay, cheery. It wasn't. I remember it. It wasn't because I had, a, I had somebody from an ex Grange Hill cast member playing a young Pat Butcher, as I recall. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I've stepped on a rake. Um, <laughs> later that same evening, the channel airs Bruce and Ronnie, a Christmas special presented by Bruce Forsyth and Ronnie Corbett. First appeared together at 1988 Royal Variety Performance. Now, when you say that, it doesn't mean that that's, that's when they appeared and just were born at that time. They just appeared. <laughs> yeah. like a, there was a loud pop sound, like a, like a Terminator bubble appeared, and them two were in it. Oh, hello. Just came out, nice to see you, to see you nice. Who are you? <laughs> Did you just come out of a time bubble? <laughs> well, I've got a story to tell you. <laughs> then Bruce Voss have to just throw a smoke bomb down. They're both going, where have they gone? Wow, I didn't think he could move that fast. It's incredible. Um, so that appeared, that's, they, that's, I love the fact that they just, that's where they appeared, first appeared. So and then they, they disappeared. Appeared. <laughs> and they disappeared until they reappeared doing this Bruce and Ronnie thing. They that's could never they be found. It. Anyway, um, together at last. Uh, later in that evening, by the way, they interviewed famous uh, celebrities in an oversized bath. Ooh, lovely. But it didn't end well, and a few oh. deaths were involved. Oh, no. That's yeah. sad to hear. Very yes. sad to hear. Yes. No one likes a bath. <laughs> 26th to the 30th of December, as part of a Christmas special, the Channel 4 soap Brookside airs five episodes over five consecutive days. Oh, just in case you, you know, you're really bored. Goodness <laughs> me. You'd have to be, wouldn't you, to watch five days worth of Brookside. There must have been some big story arc coming to an end at that point. You know, Probably. Tragic, no bloody nonsense. 29th of December, as we head up to New Year, the network television premiere of Joe Dante's 1984 smash hit comedy horror movie, Gremlins, was on ITV. Good film, that. I remember yeah. that being on as well. I remember watching that on that time. Yeah, I'm sure I watched it as well. Just to go, just to sort of say about this, so I, always, I still always buy it, but all these would have been, you know, circled in my Radio Times. 
Yes, yeah. Because radio yeah, times women bought, you go through it, looking at the films when yeah. they're on, marking them out, working out, should I take yep. that one? How many videos have I got? Should I take that one? Yeah. yeah. Still do it. Still do it every year. Yeah. Still I do as well. I, you know, I still do it, even though I don't have TV. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> I'm idiot. weird that you do that. Yeah. Well, but yeah, what I do is I look for stuff that it reminds me of stuff to watch. You've turned into the old man from The Lost Boys. <laughs> I have why, a bit. Right, watch the TV when you can just read the TV guide. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> then all I do, it reminds me of stuff. I should watch that. Yeah, I'll watch that. I forget about stuff you see. Um, then, I, then I remember with the help of reading aids. <laughs> 30th of December, Channel 4 is the Cotton Collection, an evening of archive classic BBC programmes, including episodes of Frost Over England and Dad's Army. Channel 4 are mm. always airing collections from other channels, I've noticed. <laughs> Cheap content, isn't it? Cheap this is where Boots and Snudge turned up, wasn't it? On one of them. Exactly. And they did it another Christmassy period, didn't they? Every Christmas they just have a, what was it, like years ago on yeah. TV? No, no yeah. thanks. Yeah, no, no don't like that. 31st of no. December, though, New Year's Eve highlights on BBC One include a special Ooh. edition of Top of the Pop. Celebrating the program's 25th anniversary. Yep, excellent. Some good acts on there. Good old Top of the Pops. It was a bit of a, one of those ones where it went back through the decades of, of some famous performances. It's quite a good That's one. Good. They, and they the, do a lot more of those now than they did then, but it was quite good. Well, yeah, it's because they're not on now, so they don't have any choice, do they? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the network television premiere of Perry Mason in the case of the Sinister Spirit. Oh, Perry Mason. Yeah. Much, not really my thing. Not really my thing. Although I will say the new HBO remake of Perry Mason, well, I say new, it's out in 2020. It's very good, though. Yeah, Generally, really, it's, set, it's, a, re, it's a proper it remake. So it's like set in 1932 and stuff. So and it's a, yeah. it's good. It's very good. Yeah, I, geez, I can recommend you've it. You've lost me now. That's it. You said it was set in 1932. That's not my favorite year. <laughs> if it said 33, I'd have been all over it. Yeah, exactly. I don't watch things from 1932 for that exact reason. It's just that it's not a good year. That's true. New shows. Well, we've already talked about Park Avenue. Yeah. Third uh, of December. How to be cool. Mm, this no, was uh, based on it. a novel, nineteen eighty-seven novel written by Philip Pullman, mm. and intended for older teen readers. Philip Pullman is he? Is he? What's his face? Is he a uh, Golden Compass guy? Um, you'd need to ask somebody that knows. Yes, he is. Yeah, definitely is. Yes. So he oh, wrote uh, this book, How to Be Cool, which revolved around a young man named Jacob who finds out the truth about the sinister plans of the National Cool Board and hits upon mm, an idea timely. to beat them at their own game. Just did. so this was adapted for television and starred Roger Daltrey and Freddie Jones. Mm, two good actors in there. Roger Daltrey is actually a pretty good actor when he turns his hand to it. Freddie Jones is Freddie Jones, isn't he? Sadly he, passed away now. He was, yeah. He was Freddie Jones, yeah. 4th of December was The Rainbow. Yay! Oh, no, wait. No. No. This is a BBC Television 3 episode, three episode serial of uh, the D.H. Lawrence novel, The Rainbow. Oh, racy. I can honestly say I've never read a D.H. Lawrence novel in my life. Yeah, it's a bit saucy, that one. Is it? Mm. Did he do... What else did he do? Did he do what's the other source, other saucy one? Lady Chatterley. Did he do Lady Chatterley? Don't quote me on that. I could be way off the mark. Again, Lady Chatterley. Yeah, women in love and Lady Chatterley and all that. Yeah, classic literature is not my bag. I think didn't there a film adaption of it by Russell? um, Was it Russell Crowe? Then it's not Russell Crowe. Russell um, Mulcahy. Ken Russell. (laughs) There can be only one. (laughs) There can be only one. Lady Chatterley. (laughs) I think it's uh, Ken Russell. I'm thinking of. (laughs) I'd love to see a Russell Mulcahy version. <laughs> You're a bit you of would. a wild boy. Wild boys. Wild boys. <laughs> wild boys. <laughs> it might be where it comes from. Could be. Fifth uh, of December. Super Sense. I'm watching a lot of them actually. Back then, Super Sense because well, I remember, don't, I don't remember um, it. what was it? It's where they strapped cameras to the birds' heads and made them so you could see what it looked like from a bird's perspective and what this is what it looks like from a from a shark's eyes and that kind of thing. It was, it was like that, that sort of thing where they used. They say groundbreaking effects. They just strapped cameras to the side of creatures' heads. 
uncontrollably and horribly. <laughs> they drowned a lot of penguins, apparently. But, um, you know, at least oh. we got to see what it looked like out of a penguin's eyes as it drowned. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. 21st of December, we had Barney. We did. Not Barney, the purple dinosaur Barney, though. This is Barney the dog, voiced by Tim Brooke Taylor. Was this a, a kid's... A cartoon animation, yeah. yeah. Kid show. Okay, another yep. one of them. Uh, 23rd of December, we had Billy's Christmas Angels. Weird. This is very weird. This is some kind of odd... This is BBC. Billy wants to play in a rock band with his brother Dave. This Christmas, Billy's Angels come down to Earth to help Billy find Dave and reality through Faith, Hope and Charlie. It was some kind of thing for the mint juleps or something. Whatever. Weird. I didn't it watch it. Don't remember very, it. Very odd. Uh, no. uh, 29th of December, you rang, my lord. Uh, not my cup of tea at all. No, this is a new sitcom from Perry and Croft, creators of Dad's mm. Army and things like that, and it starred Paul Shane, Jeffrey Holland, and Jeffrey Holland, and Sue Pollard oh, uh, from Heidi High, well. yeah. Donald Hewlett and Michael Knowles from Ain't Half Hot Mom, and Bill Pertwee, and occasionally Frank Williams from Dad's Army. Uh, yeah. The weirdest thing about this, the memorable 1920s-style theme tune was sung by comedian Bob Monkhouse. How random. Not on purpose, either. Under <laughs> duress. <laughs> he, was, he was held down. He's held um, down and forced to sing. Yeah, sing, the- Monkhouse. <laughs> they were, they were going to threaten to, to uh, remove his uh, funny gland. He's not going to sing. Yodder, make him sing. <laughs> Oi, Monkhouse. <laughs> Oi, Monkhouse, get singing. I may look small, <laughs> but I can fit in hard places. <laughs> you, you can hit higher notes than that. <laughs> you rang me, Lord. <laughs> you will ring. That's how, it, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. <laughs> We, we like to we like to break new ground with this podcast. Then we we are the first people to realise that Bob Monkhouse was coerced into singing by an angry green <laughs> alien from another world, Cockney alien, Cockney that. alien from the from the planet Dagobah. That's good, good old Dagobah. Thirtieth of December, finally thirtieth December, twelfth night, or what you will is a videotaped yes. 1988 television adaptation of Kenneth Branagh's stage production for the Renaissance Theatre Company of William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. First broadcast in the UK by Channel 4, oh, 30 December. Someone videotaped this. So does that mean that it, someone played it, videoed it, and then they just played the video back? Sounds like it to me. You got that, you, you got that video, Twelfth Night. We're, we're stuck. We've got nothing to put on. <laughs> you got it. It's in your bag. Oh, whack it in there. It's out VHS. Yeah, we'll just tell everyone it's qual- the quality's crap on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an arty thing. Everyone thinks that about Branner. No one will. No one will wonder. <laughs> but did you tape over it? Just as it's once getting towards the edge, it's like, <laughs> was there anything? Did you tape over anything after this? Uh, you might want to stop it right after the right before the credits stop. <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> just stop it for God's sake. Just stop it. <laughs> it's, it's what's his face? It's Sam Tandy or whatever his name was. Exactly. Unless you know, be like that sequence in Steve um, Tandy fight, sequence in Fight Club where you just see one frame of bah! oh god. <laughs> <laughs> <You're duh. laughs> oh, anyway yes. there we go there that was go. it that's your christmas telly empire Some strikes really back good telly Some good films back to the future empire strikes back yeah gremlins santa yeah, claus three good ones yeah yeah it's all good that's all good yeah. anyway there you go um that's your telly for um or tv for december 1988 we're gonna go away take a quick break after that bit and hopefully yoda won't find us um we come back we've got four more games still to play and get through so uh please do stick around <laughs> Rest 
Steinem on course. I'm almost there, ready to deliver David Hearn's books, including Back in Time for a Donut and The Case of the Notorious Roboticist, to a bookstore near you. Let's just bypass Targ and... Oi! Where's that copy of Escape from the Commodore 64 you promised me? Dave's latest book. Oh, not you again. I thought I lost you outside Gamma 5. Hey, did you just fire at my ship? Says I've got some conflict damage. I'll give you conflict. Looks like your Nova Drive is shot. Literally. Tragic, that. Computer says I'm on a collision course with Targ. Options? You can crash into Targ, and it just so happens I'm also the mayor, so straight to prison for you, or you can give over that last copy of Dave's latest book. Yeah, in exchange for what? Hmm, let me see. Aha! I've got a spare Nova Drive back here. How about that? Oh, okay, I can't do mercenary again. The deal. Dave's latest book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is all yours. There. Oh, I love the cover. There's Paradroid, Impossible Mission, and Law of the West. Get your own copy. You're not having mine at davidhernwriter.com. Can I ask a quick question, though? How would you keep me in a prison that only has lines for walls? And we're back. Uh, four more games to get through. Let's waste no time. Let's get straight in. First one up is Pulse Warrior. It's £2, £1.99. It's got 78%. And it's another arcade puzzler. Comes from Mastertronic. Pulse Warrior. This was coded by Simon Price. He did Qua and Red Hawk. Ooh. Games we haven't looked at because they're adventure games, but I do remember both of those. They're kind of like... The Qua. It was that comic book superhero type adventure game with panels. Yeah, yeah, I remember it, yeah. He did that. So he's done this. He also worked on Wiz for Melbourne House. Wiz? We didn't like that. Um, no, we this didn't. has also got music and sounds by Steve Barrett. Okay. Um, okay. Before we get into this game, I do just want to make mention that the cover, which seems to bear no relation to actually what this game is about, <laughs> but has a man on it in a. In a uh, can you describe this? It's got a purple crab on his head. <laughs> It's a man in a very, very tightly fitting purple tunic, which is very tight in the crotch, um, with a purple crab on his, on head, his head. head. It's got a purple crab on his head. There's no way around that. That's what it is. No. It's just, it is what it is. And it's, it's like it's like on some alien planet. None of this is on an alien planet, this no. game. None of it. None of, this is another one of those Pulse Warrior. <laughs> yeah, I can do that, mate. I can draw you a cover for Pulse Warrior. What's it about? Don't, don't need to know what it's about. I'll draw, draw you something. He's obviously a warrior, isn't it? And he fires out, you know, guns, yeah. pulse, pulse, you know, got a laser gun, a pulse gun. So, uh, yeah, no worries. I'll do that. <laughs> well, I don't understand, and I can't get my head around is why you would choose to draw the Pulse Warrior like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that is, is the crab on his head. It, it, it's like something out of Half-Life, Half-Life 2. It is. It is it's a head crab. It's a head crab. It's obviously controlling him. And as for what these these electric orbs are, <laughs> you know, on in the things like and the sort of yellowy sky when this game takes place in oh, space. Dear. Yeah, it's 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 all kinds of wrong. All kinds of wrong. It's very wrong. Anyway, that's the cover. It's always worth a mention as a nice cover. It is. Anyway, in the 22nd century, all of the Earth's power comes from the sun. Not much changed, probably, <laughs> via giant space platforms. Okay. These capture the energy. These capture the energy from the sun and relay it back to Earth. This is all good. You know, we've gone a bit green. That's all good. However, as is ever the case, the Earth has come under attack from the Darak, hideous things, reptile things from Cirrus Major, and their first port of call is to knock out these platforms in space and thus take down all our power sources, the dirty rotters. 
The problem here is that no one thought to put any defences on the platforms. It's a bit of an oversight. This is that's their entire um, the entirety of our pl- power comes from them. <laughs> They'll be all right. Yeah, it's quite an oversight, that. Yeah. So there's no real way to take down the aliens in a conventional shoot-them-all manner. So this is not a shoot-em-up. No. The only way they can be defeated is to use the power of the platforms themselves, use the energy collectors to fire pulses of energy out and direct them to destroy the aliens as they land. Mm. Convoluted. But... That's the job that you're faced with. There's no title screen to speak of in this. Just a decent piece of music over the initial screen. So it's just, we're straight into the game. There's, there's nothing here. And there's a stab of the fire button gets us going. There's a line of UI at the top showing your lives, the score, and there's some further numbers to the right. But I'm not sure what they exactly are. And a look through the instructions did not offer an explanation for them either. I think I have actually worked them out, but I'll come to that in a little bit. So because they're red blue and yellow there's just these numbers and i think that ties into something in the game but but the instructions didn't say so i'm just going to make a bit of a guess a bit later on so yeah i'm not sure the rest of the screen shows the game uh, and this is a it's a flick screen puzzler so it's kind of top down the graphics are bass relief i'd say they're in a bass relief style um and they show the exterior of the ship and the game takes place over a six by six grid of screens so we've got 36 screens to, uh, to play through each screen so each of these screens is a section of the spaceship if you mapped it all out and i've, got, I've seen a map of it it just looks like the top of a ship it's quite nice it's all right so in each one of these screens there's a black round lens on it so there's parts of the sort of level the 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 craft that you move around on within these screens. So there's higher walls on the outside of these bits and you move around on the inside of these. So they've got a black round lens on it and there's a landing pad as well where aliens can be seen landing. Obviously, it's a landing pad. That's the two things that go on here. There are also pulse generators sort of built into the walls. And these fire out little white lines of energy that will bounce around the screen and they sort of hit and they move around at sort of 45 degrees. So they'll hit a wall, bounce off. And that's and that's what happens here. So these pulse energy uh, putting these out and they sort of bounce around. And you control this thing. So when 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 um when they hit the lens, sorry, you control a small gray square and your job is to reflect the energy pulses. First of all, you've got to deflect them towards the lens. So you've got to sort of get in the way of them. When they hit you, they'll they'll sort of knock you back a little, but they'll bounce off you at 45 degrees. And so when they hit the lens, they disappear, but the lens itself powers up. There's no way of knowing this. It just powers up. The next one that hits it, when it goes in, it will come out with that one that you powered it up with. So it'll come out at a longer, it's like a longer line. Because these are little sort of small lines. It'll come out double its size. It's like a more powerful pulse of energy. You've got to then get another of the small ones into the lens, fire the big one back into the lens and get it to absorb that. And when it's become long enough by feeding enough smaller energy into the lens and creating the larger one, you can then try and bounce this powerful energy pulse into the landing site. Obviously, there's about two or three of these pulses sort of bounce around at all times and you've kind of got to sort of take care of them and make sure that you don't, A, you don't lose the long one off the screen because it can happily go off screen or anything like that. So it's quite tricky. If it's powerful enough to, when it hits the landing site, it will destroy it and it will then shut that screen down. You've done that screen, well done. Done the screen, done. And what you're going to do is you're basically going to do this across all 36 screens in order to complete the game. So as I said, there's a map of this. And if you map the levels out, it's like each screen connects to another one. There's like exits. Kind of reminded me of that slime, sort of a bigger version of that slime is mine. A little bit yeah. how those minds sort of link to each other. Yeah, um, yeah, bit yeah. Similar, a bit that. similar in sort of style to that. So each screen connects another one of your exits and you're free to progress to the next screen as you see fit, even if you've not destroyed the landing pad on the one you're on. So you can move around the spaceship as, as much as you want. There's... Um, you don't have to sort of stay on one particular screen and try and do it. You can go to the next one or whatever. It's up to you. When you do this, when you move off screen, the game will flip to like a map of the overall ship and you'll see the 36 zones here. You'll see the uh, six by six grid. It doesn't give you a full map. Um, what it does, they're all represented by squares. 
So these little squares that are on these, they're color-coded red, blue, and yellow. And each has a number next to it representing the difficulty of that screen. These are either 4, 8, or 12. Now, what I think this is, and I think somehow these colors are linked to those three numbers on the top of the UI because it's the same colors. I don't know exactly how because they they change and move around and count down and stuff. I don't know if it's like the number of aliens that are landing and you've got to stop them from getting to zero if all the red ones, that, I'm, I'm not sure. There's some connection there. I just don't know fully what it is. And I've read the instructions. It just doesn't say. Um, that's it. So, yeah, so the color code of red, blue, and yellow. If you've shut the landing pad down, though, on the screen, that zone is represented by a black color on the map. So you know which one you've done. Should you take out all screens of a certain color? So if you take out all the red ones or all the yellow ones or the blue ones, you get an extra life, um, and that's all right. So you can sort of work your way. You can work your way around, aim to try and take out all the red ones. You want to get an extra life, and you can progress like that if you want. Or you can just work from screen to screen to screen and try and just take them out in order. It's up to you. There's no. It's completely up to you how you sort of approach this. There are obstacles on the screens as well. These are sort of service droids, and they sit there. They don't do anything. They don't. Um, they don't move. They don't come after you. But they sit there. If you collide with them, they'll take you out, and you'll lose one of your five lives. And if you lose all five lives, then it's game over. The pulses will sometimes. They will just bounce away off the screen because they go out the exit. If they go out the exit, you've lost them, and you've got to start with another pulse. And if, especially if you've got a long pulse, you know that you're trying to get towards the uh, landing site, and it sort of goes off at a random angle and then bounces out and off the screen. It can be quite frustrating um, and annoying. So uh, that that can happen. Um, and some of the walls as well, when you get some of the later screens, they will actually absorb the pulses as well. So you don't want to bounce these pulses into those walls because you'll lose the pulse. Um, and it's all about trying to shepherd these things around. So it takes a little time to get your head around this. But I think once you do, there's an, there's an okay game here. It reminded me of that Pete Cook one we played a while back, that Brainstorm, where you're trying to trap the... The, the line or whatever it was in that sort of on the red to sort of get your score up and things like that. It's a similar sort of vibe to that um, in the way you had to coach a moving target towards a destination. And it also reminded me of what we looked at last week, that intensity with its sort of single screen space. Yeah. Puzzle ba- puzzling. It's that it's similar in it's this kind of sort of feel of like a single screen. You're not shooting. You're doing something different. It's in that kind of mold. Now I wasn't sure at first what to make of this, but the, the once you get your head around it and the simple premise and the ability to scoot around the ship as you see fit and approach the screens in any order you like, I thought this made it for quite an interesting game. Actually, it's quite a nice, a nice idea. It does feel a little lifeless though when playing it. A bit of music would have been good. There's some nice music on the top screen. It would have been nice to have some in-game music, even just a sort of a low burble or just some background, you know, just the hum of the spaceship or something. Just some mm. noises because all there is is like beeps and boops when the the pulses hit the walls and stuff, and it gets a, it's a bit. It's a bit empty, um, and don't, you know it can feel a bit of a tad slow to play. But it's all right; it's not too bad. It got seventy eight percent. Yeah, maybe a tad higher considering the price, and it's quite a clever game, all told. Some of the graphics are a bit rough. Some of the screens, the yellow ones, I'm thinking, are a bit hard on the eye. But overall, it's got a nice aesthetic. It keeps to its thing. It's pretty simple. The story works in what you're doing. It's not overly told. It's not overly convoluted. There's one mechanic. You've just got to do this thing, but how you approach it is up to you. I, I quite like this. I thought it was all right. It, I, it, you know, as these sort of single screen puzzlers go, I enjoy my time with it. What about you? Yeah, it was better than average, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it was clever. It's a nice, clever puzzler. I thought the graphics were really good on this. I really liked the style of the way they were done. Yeah. It looked a lot more expensive than it actually was. Yes. That's quite nice. I quite like that. It's only one ninety nine, wasn't it? Seventy eight percent is not a bad score for this. I thought it was odd. It sort of starts when it starts. It's a bit odd when it's a first, when it first starts. It's sort of odd. Um, 
because it's sort of you're kind of wondering what it's all about. You're looking at it. There's things moving around. You've got that thing that you move in, and it's there's kind of an obtuse quality quality to it all. You do have to take your time with it. But that was that was exactly as you point out was the story of intensity as well. I mean, I know I, I enjoyed that a bit more than you did, but at the same time, it's just there's not much given away in the instructions for this. So no, there's a lot of story, but not much. Yeah, it's just not. It's just again, it's one of those games that I think because and I think for the oddly, I mean, I liked it, but for the for the exact reasons that you noted with intensity, it's that it doesn't have a lot of screen direction initially. There's not a lot of indications of what's happening. It's quite hard to follow. Mm. No, there's just lines bouncing around and you've got that thing you're moving around and you've changed to a different screen. But gradually over time, as you sort of get to the grips and you start to realise what's what and you start to find the, the, to get the placement, the things start to make sense. I think there's quite a nice playable game in there. Two quid though, there's a lot of playable game in it. Um, I think yeah. it's one of those games you'd buy it, and if you didn't bounce off it straight away because you're like, "What the hell is all this?" If you just took that extra moment, you're going to get quite a lot out of it. And it's just again, it's another reminder that puzzle games are pretty good on the C64 generally when the when there's minds been put to it. For one ninety nine, these some of these budget puzzle games like this, you know, and even I know Bumboozle wasn't one ninety nine, but they're really good. They're good little puzzle games. You don't have to have craziness on the screen. You, uh, you just have to be able to build up a a good sort of puzzle profile and, and and you can get you can get people into it this is a slower in than i think it would probably have benefited from mm. but i thought it was uh it was all right didn't look at and play too badly at all and for two pounds i think you're getting quite a nice little value for money game there so i i liked it i liked it quite a lot i was playing it for quite a while wasn't sure exactly what i was doing some of the time but still enjoyed it all the same good good and the, all the sounds and everything all good really i love the graphics in it i thought they looked really nice so Mm. very good yeah very good well done well done you very good indeed i'm wondering as well sort of thing what a game about um a man in a purple tunic with a head crab would have been like <laughs> we make we may yet come to that we may we may yeah we may yet or we may never know something sort of but it's certainly nothing to do with this game where you're controlling a craft no. on a spaceship yeah it's not to do with it i don't know what they were thinking of i'm guessing the old uh loco weed was in full effect at that point <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they just got sent it you want to draw a pulse where yeah right no worries he's like yeah yeah he's writing the notes down yeah yeah what you say giant crab head yeah all right got it got it got it <laughs> got it i didn't got say it. that click <laughs> oh no don't tell me he's gonna draw that <laughs> no we did poltergeist last time we asked him and what was the other one as well which had nothing to do with the uh with the game as well quite a third few one yeah there's a third one oh dear anyway there we go pulse warrior it's all right quite liked it right. quite yeah, good. good two quid quite good, good game not bad. Um, let's move on. See if the next one's just as good. The next one, well, this is a race against time. Tell us about it. It is. Um, this is from Codemasters. Um, it was coded by Colin Jones on the C64, although I believe this is an Oliver Twins game on the Spectrum. Um, the title screen was by Stephen Day. The musician here was David Whittaker with a really odd version of Games Without Frontiers by Peter Gabriel, which is really odd. But yeah. then again, it's a charity thing, isn't it? The whole thing is a charity game. It was first sport aid in 1988, hence the 499 price tag. But oh dear, it's got a 30% um, rating in Zap, so it's not getting the ratings. Um, no. The race against time, then, it was based on Sport Aid 88, which was a global program of sport, music, and carnival, cultivating in the simultaneous 10 kilometer worldwide run that took place on September the 11th, 1988. I remember some of our school teachers taking part in that back in the day. 
Millions of people around the world joined the campaign to help children worldwide fight hunger, poverty, and disease. A noble cause, that. Mm. In this game, players take on the role of Omar Khalifa, the legendary Sudanese athlete who has decided to participate. Starting from the El Mahoueli relief camp in Sudan, he has limited time to raise a flag and light a flame in each of the six continents. Khalifa's journey has him past famous landmarks such as the Statue of Liberty, the United Nations Building, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, Mount Rushmore, the Sydney Opera House, the Colosseum, the Eiffel Tower, and a whole bunch of other cliched buildings you ain't never heard of. <laughs> there are multiple routes, obviously, on each content- on continent. Khalifa can pick up objects to help him reach places, but only one object can be carried at a time, which is odd because most people have pockets and things and backpacks. He can also get an hourglass, which will give him more time. The run is over when Khalifa runs out of time or when he comes into contact with dangers he must face. Okay, okay, look. And a no doubt noble cause. All right, all of that cause, just amazing. The charity, everything. The game, not so good. Okay, it's a Spectrum port, or at least I think it's that's the route. It, that's the direction it came from. Spectrum oh, out. God, yeah. Um, so it has the usual high-res looking sprites and backgrounds. The detailed, I guess, but all single color on a whole, albeit nicely drawn, I suppose, for what they are, sort of background. But uh, as a whole, they've got that specky look. In fact, I would argue they look a lot like Dizzy, um, the Dizzy graphics, and there's probably a reason for that, isn't there? The main, and this is a little bit of a bugbear of mine, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to discuss it because I think it's important. In this game, the main player sprite is white. Now, I, I know there's palette limitations on these computers, I know that. I just can't help feeling that sticking everything with a black background instead of maybe blue skies and having a white guy instead of a black athlete, which is the uh, athlete who's on all the adverts famously. I can't, but that just feels problematic for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just a modern lens. And, you know, and I just think Daley Thompson managed perfectly well. So I don't understand why that's the case. And And it feels odd. It feels off in this, which is a, in a game that's about such an important cause and about such an important thing, to have the main representation of it then converted into a, a, a very white sprite just seemed it seemed just seemed really nothing to do when you you don't have to do that. And so I just I know and I'm, and I'm not casting aspersions at the people that made the game. Maybe just you know whatever the graphics have done, whatever where they were done. I just think it's a it's a it, you had an opportunity there to really represent things in a good positive way and and you know looking back with a real modern lens why would you do that why would you why would you choose to not represent the very culture and the very people and the very you know the race and 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 everything and the ethnicity of the very people that you're fighting a good cause for in the actual game itself just that's my soapbox moment over but it just annoyed me a bit Mm -hmm. the game though itself is dull and that's that's the tragedy of it all i suppose it's dull and mostly outside of the music pretty bland run around pick stuff up jump here and there could almost be a dizzy game with different sprites the main window of the game is a kind of banner at the top an indication of what you are holding, your score and your time, remaining time. Below that is a high-res flick screen play window and you will run about those annoying spectrum, you will run about with all those annoying spectrum sounding tap, tap, tap sounds and periodically jump over stuff. The joystick is in effect here. You move and then you do diagonally to jump. Fire buttons are the actions again, which is exactly like Dizzy, isn't it? So, Mm. and I'm not knocking the cause or the nobility of supporting it, as I said. Raising money for charity and all the awareness and everything, all good things to do. But this game is an exercising bland lifelessness and a somewhat pointless runabout. It just feels like the whole point of the very thing that you're trying to do is not emphasized in this game. There's no imperative. It's just run around, pick stuff up and maybe avoid stuff. It just seems that there's probably a whole bunch of things that they could have really wove into that to make this more about the whole notion of all of the the worldwide fight for hunger and poverty. Maybe there was a better way of doing it than just having an athlete running around picking stuff up outside the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. It just felt like this was a big 
opportunity to do something really meaningful. And in the end, they just couldn't be bothered or they just didn't work out that way. I think you'd have got more more out of things if you'd have just donated a fiver to charity and you didn't bother with the game, I have to say. But you know what? Maybe people would, maybe it's just an attempt to reach an audience that might not have been reachable. You know, and at least the people are getting a game out of it. I don't know. I, I didn't think the game was very good at all. I thought it was very, very dull. So I don't know how much money it would have grabbed for charity, but it is for a charitable cause. So what can you say? What did you think? Yeah, I, I, it's not very good, is it? I mean, you give it some leeway because it's a charity game. It's okay, cut it some slack, but it's still an excuse why I'm seeing an exact port from the Spectrum. The Amstrad version doesn't do that. The Amstrad version has, you know, he's he's not white, uh, the, yeah. main, the main character in the Amstrad version. So it's, they have done that. This this is just a port from the Spectrum. It's also really late. Spectrum and Amstrad versions came out in the summer. This I was going to say, now, it's, it's late late for the race, isn't it? So it's yeah, way you can look, yeah, you can look on Moby Games and you can see all the reviews for the um, the Spectrum version were in like July. So oh, that makes whereas sense. the uh, Commodore versions are all like November, October, mm. December. So it, it's, a, it's a late port of a, and they've just basically just ported that Spectrum game over, which is, mm. you know, I, th- I don't know. We don't. I, like I don't that. get it. It don't really it doesn't really need it now. I, I ran around for a bit. I got into a pyramid. I got lost. I, I don't know if I didn't like this. It didn't play very well. It just wasn't really interesting. I mean, no. you should not rely on something being for charity and excuse to knock out a substandard product. As far as I'm concerned, no. I think I'd just prefer to give a fiver to the cause rather than play have to play this. Yeah, same same thing. And I wouldn't have this in my house because I don't want yeah. this game. Because no matter how much the good intention is behind it, it's not a good game. So. No. I'll just donate to charity. Thank you very yep. much. Yep. Yep. Um, so there you go. And like I said, it's late. Sport had been gone by about six months by the time we, this arrived. Yeah. Mr. Mark as well. Yeah, exactly. There we go. The race against time. I, ironically, it was late. <laughs> yeah, it was. There we go. Let's move on from that one. <laughs> to our next game, Staying Sporty. Mm. We have... Uh, Epix's latest compilation in the games summer edition. Okay, can they bring back the glory? After the disappointment of the games winter edition, can the glory of the game series be recaptured by Epix with the games summer edition? Uh, this is clearly based on the Seoul Olympics of 1988, I'm guessing, with lots of imagery from there to sort of fuel it. There's no shortage of events here. And the people who worked on this, um, because code duties went to Edward Chu, Peter Engelbright, Kevin Furry, Carl May, Scott Nelson, Kevin Norman, and Chuck Somerville. Graphics by Susie Green, Cheryl Knowles, Art Koch, Muffy McCosh, Matthew Sacconi, Steve Snyder, and Paul Vernon. And on music, we have Chris Grigg, Chris Ebert, and Bob Vieira. 17 people in total. That's a big That's a team. Lot of people. That's a big, a big team, team for a C64 game. It is a big team. Uh, surely with all those people, it has to be good. I mean, some of them worked on Summer Games too. Summer Games, Maniac Mansion. You know, these <laughs> yeah. people, and the Eidolon, and lots of this, this, this pedigree here. Anyway, it's another game's game and follows the tried and tested formula with a few tweaks to things to spruce stuff up. When the game first loads, we get the opening ceremonies, starting with a map of South Korea, as a series of Polaroid pictures get overlaid, showing various cultural images of the country before uh, before settling into a shot of the stadium and doing a 3D zoom into the big screen and the logo appearing. It's okay. It's a nice, nice opening ceremony. They're all right. I thought it was okay. Mm. From there, we are whisked to the Olympic Village. And this is the one thing where things actually do work and look better. The old menu, old style menu system is gone. Gone, gone, gone. That blue screen with yes. just a list of text, gone here. And what we have is a top-down view of all the arenas and what events are available um, at each uh, to each one is represented by an icon. 
So this is quite nice. So going clockwise from top left, uh, we have the dive-in, the uneven parallel bars and rings, the hammer throw, the archery, the pole vault, and the 110-meter hurdles, and finally the cycling. Um, you control a little Olympic torch, which you move around the screen. And if you click on any of these icons, you're taken to that event immediately. So that's a nice quality of life improvement from the previous functional mm. menus. I quite like this uh, menu system. There's also a ninth icon in the bottom left corner, which is the Olympic torch again. And this is here you can find uh, you can find the option to change the names of the players and their country, whether to watch the opening ceremonies again, compete in all or some events, or view the world records. So that's where your sort of main your sort of options are. Or you can go back to the main menu and just pick another pick pick a single one. It's quite nicely done, and I quite like it. So I have to say, the, the menu system here is is quite nice. When you pick your name and you type your name in, you pick a you pick a country from the flag. This that's kind of all usual epic stuff. It's a little bit different, but it's the same sort of stuff. Put your people mm. in who you want to pick. Pick a flag for the country you want to represent, and you can have up to I think it's eight players you can have. Can't you? Was it eight? I think it's up to eight. Yeah, it was six or eight. But it's, it's like six or eight. eight. I can't remember. Yeah. So once you've sorted out what you want to do, you proceed to the events themselves. So I played the ball, and this is how they came up for me. First up was the diving. This gives you a side-on view of the diver as they approach from the right, which I thought was an odd angle, an odd direction, but okay, mm. get on with it. A tap of the joystick to the left sees them walk along, do a jump. You can hold down as they land to get more spring, but if you tap to the right to get them to walk along and you hold to the right, they'll, they'll stop at the end and do a reverse dive, so they'll stop and spring off that way. Once they're in the air... You've got a load of moves to choose from, a confusingly a lot of moves, because you've got so little time. Um, and you choose the moves from those ones on offer by pulling the joystick in the direction and try to get a clean entry into the water. That's it, really. Because it's a low dive, you're just above the water. So this is a just a springboard. It's not a high cliff dive or you know lots of dives like we saw mm. in Summer Olympiad or the first Summer Games. This is, uh, I am two foot above the water, and I've got to do one somersault if I can manage it. The graphics are nice, I guess. They're big. The animation's not that fluid, though. I thought it was a bit jerky. Um, no. And the scoring, the scoring I found entirely arbitrary. As for one dive, I got a 10 from one judge and 1.8 from another. Yeah, like, sounds about um, right. That doesn't work. Anyway, I scored 139 on this. I don't know what that meant. Maybe that's good. Next up is the cycling. Here we get a, <laughs> the cycling. Here we get a screen split into three. On the right, we have a top-down view of the track with our racers represented by dots. This reminded me of the um, speed skating from the Winter Games one. Mm. Um, on the left, we get a split screen of the two riders from behind as they race around the velodrome in 3D. The point here is to do two laps, um, as you would do in an all race. You've got to sort of go slow and you're sort of trying to psych your opponent out by keeping your stamina high. You've got a stamina bar under each, uh, each of these 3D viewpoints. Um, and then on the third lap, it's like go hell for leather and try and do it. The graphics... Uh, are very odd <laughs> i think is the best way i can put this they don't yep. really work that well there's really blocky buildings and landscapes everything's gray and boring and the cyclists are really thin they're like <laughs> really thin it's like they've been stretched or squeezed they they're are, like they're thin, thin and the way they sort of you move wham. left or right the kind of the angle's all wrong and the control system for this is you waggle up and down for power and left and right to steer um which may sound tricky but it's not actually that hard to win because all you need to do is on the make sure you're in front on the as you go into the last lap, if you go up against the computer, and he won't be able to overtake you because you just stay on the inside and he'll just come up inside you and won't bother to go around you. So it doesn't yeah. even matter if you run out of stamina. Anyway, it's not. It's dull to play. I got 10.58 seconds, whatever that meant. Up next is the unbelievably stupid, uneven parallel bars. <laughs> I will say this. There's some nice animation here. 
There is yeah. some nice animation in this yeah, one. Yeah. You see this from an angle, so it's like an isometric angle. It's like back up, up and to the to the back, back right. So you're looking kind of down on it from the, you know, so you, uh, I don't know how to describe. But you're looking down on it and to the to the right. It's like an isometric, and you see this. Right, your gymnast sprints in from the bottom left and bounces onto the bars. And what follows is a series of moves that are cool, but in no way do you feel really feel in control. The manual has a diagram of how the moves flow together that look like a conspiracy theorist's corkboard. I think it's the best way I can describe it. Um, oh, and if you do manage to get yourself extricated from these, you'll have no real clue how you did it. I got 7.1. I don't know. It was just you spring around, you fling from bar to bar, you turn, you stand, you dive. You, uh, it's like, I, I don't know what. Where's the simplicity gone? It's not gone on the rings. That's the next That's the uh, next one up, where you have to <laughs> waggle in all kinds of different directions to get your gymnast to do anything. And once again, this is explained by a spider diagram in the manual list. Literally thought that someone just written stuff and a spider just walked across the thing. This is, we'll post these pictures. That we, the, you've got to see them. Go look. Will there be a link here? Go look at the manual. Be in the show notes. Go look at the manual. If you don't believe us, just try and get your head around these images. This is just ridiculous. Yeah. It's just impossible to make any sense of. I got 15 in this. I don't know if that's good, but I'm presuming it's bad because I kept falling off. And when you fall off, you just collapse the thing. When you stop waggling, he just gives up. Like, what's going on? <sighs> those two are just stupid, those things, because they're so complicated. There's some nice animation, as I said, in both of them, but it's completely uncontrollable. Hammer throw next. Best animation of the lot here, though. Really, really nice animation on this hammer throw. It's basically, and this is probably one of the better ones. You spin the joystick round to build up speed. So it's just, you know, like the old, so you're spinning it round rather than waggling. So you're moving it round and round, and as you're, and you say, your hammer thrower starts to spin. You press the fire, and then he'll start to move across the circle, and you tap and fire again to release the, at the right time and throw it very very track and field this just it's essentially the, a better version of a more graphically updated version of track of the track and field one it's essentially the same but with better animation there's even a touch of some of the old humor here as if you don't press fire button you fly off the screen you know mm-hmm. so this this felt like a throwback this one because it felt like a control system that seemed easy to understand fit the on-screen action looked great felt part of something else this felt like a, an event from summer games too or you know California games or winter games or something, one of those. It felt like a pro- world games, maybe. It felt like a proper throwback, this one. Probably the best one. I got 80.2 meters on the one time I did manage to get to throw it, which is quite good. On to the hurdles. Why are there only two people running? <laughs> Don't know. Why there's four in it? We thought there four went a lot in Summer Olympiad. Now there's two here. <laughs> They're not even that well animated. And it's a no. waggle here. Why are we waggling? With fire mm. button to jump over the hurdles. Try not to clip them too much as you'll fall and be disqualified. The animation is okay, but it felt like, you know what this felt like? It felt like I was running in the 1930s for some reason. Yeah, it's something, something to do with their outfits. Women athletes there, wasn't it? Which is unusual for the kind of these kind of games. I, I couldn't tell if I'm perfectly honest. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, female athletes. Right, female athletes. I mean, that's a good thing, but it still felt like I was running in the 1930s. I think it's something to do with yeah. the, the, the plimsolls that look like they were running in. Mm. I didn't do very well. It's got 21.53. Um, then we have the pole vault. And the control system is stupid. So when you start, you get a view of the Volta running towards the screen. It's like waggling, pole, pole waggling at you. It's really it's weird. Like thre- it's like threatening. It's like, ooh. It's like, ooh. It's really, stop, it's stop really waggling weird. at me, you. I, I heard the sound of him breathing and sweating, even though he didn't do that. <laughs> exactly. So you've got to tap left and right as his feet hit the floor in tandem with him, with his feet in the floor to build up speed, which seems at odds because... It, no matter what I tried, I could never manage to build up enough speed to get my Volta off the ground once it cuts to the thingy. So once you get close to the uh, to the actual put the Volta in, you post pull down, you ping up, and they think I could. I basically got about two foot off the floor each time. Went, uh, uh. I was <laughs> like, oh, this is crap. Yeah, 
whatever. I didn't get a score on that one. Finally, archery. There's a three-quarter view from behind the archer with a target in the distance. Um, a tap of the fire button sees your archer pull the bow back, and you pull to the left to get more pull and speed. Once you've let, let go, I think you've set fire button, then you get close-up of the target, um, and you've got like your sort of looking down as if you're looking down the aim of your bow, and it's kind of wobbling about, so you've got to kind of sort of aim uh, aim you know for the middle of the target but you've got to sort of take into account, into account the wind which is depicted by a windsock just uh, on screen which is sort of flopping about as the wind sort of takes it mm. um and you aim and fire three times i got 24 on this and enjoyed it i uh, probably the best out of all of them because it's mm. nice and it's simple yeah. and it works and it has that challenge to get better and enough variables to have to consider at all times that wind the aim pullback time it takes all that kind of stuff it, it's simple and single screen and it just works because it works as you expect it to work you pull left to pull left you aim you press fire that's it nice and simple then we have the closing ceremonies we get some drums being banged and it's all over that's it okay there are two events that i liked and they're the simplest the hammer and the archery and they're probably because they feel like events in other games the rest the rings and uneven uneven bars are ridiculous the hurdles are dull the diving and pole vault were better in summer games which they're both which were both done before and they were better in that one the cycling was better in summer games too it's hard to hard to imagine that when you look back at the cycling in summer games too how better it how much better it is it's much, mm. so much better I don't know what can you say about this two decent events and the rest are either rubbish or done better elsewhere the graphics are all over the place the big team obviously haven't helped because I think you've got some people who are good and understand these kind of systems and some people who are not good and don't the hammer is great the cycling is rubbish so when you look at the graphics they're like two different yeah. types of game there's no balance here or cohesive vision of what the game should look like or play like and the gymnastics events are just ridiculous 49% this got, and it's about right, and it's a sad way for the series to end because I think this is the last one in it. I don't think there's another one. Yeah, this is But it. it's been on this trajectory for a while now, so what else were you going to expect? It's just such a shame. You can clearly see that whoever did the archery, whoever did the uh, the hammer throwing, got it. They got it. They understood it was there. They were The rest, they come from the California games, but World Games, Games Winter Edition. They just overcomplicate this nonsense. I don't want a conspiracy theorist corkboard for instructions. No. shame i i think i did play this i think i played this around at gary's house back in the day because i don't I remember the archery and i think back then the only one we liked was the archery and the hammer because the rest were rubbish but no this is this is not a good game and it, like i said it's a shame that the game series has gone out in this way no i don't like this two events from from eight that's not a good hit ratio that's 25 percent. Mm. there you go what do you I don't know what did you think uh, well 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 nice ish intro that part was all right Select you the stuff bit, okay. Cycling, up and down waggling, no. No. No, no. And he took off like a missile at the end of that race. He just took off. I was like, bloody hell, fire, what have you been drinking? Um, <laughs> although I was doing maybe doing very slowly. Diving, I thought the graphics and the animation was quite nice, but it felt completely controlless and arbitrary, and the scoring was off the chart wild. I got 229. Wow. I, I I didn't really even do anything. I got 10 off one of the judges. Yeah. So, yeah. But he always gave me a 10. <laughs> <laughs> weird really bizarre and then um the uneven parallel bars i had absolutely no idea what i was doing was i even in control no just i'm not sure i mean i put that poor girl through torture um <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty sure of that she was whacking and spinning and grabbing and pulling and yanking and spinning and flipping and flopping and flapping and she landed but i didn't get very good marks so i got mega loads of negatives so god knows what i was doing no idea the, the rings i mean what the hell all i could do was drop what looked like play a harmonica and then he teleported i'm like <laughs> What the hell? No, no idea what I was doing. 
That's but that I mean I'm pretty sure that's never happened before in the actual Olympics. Maybe it has. The hammer throw, yeah, like you say, nice graphics, fairly straightforward. I, somehow I could never seem to get it, but I did manage to throw one 48 meter thing. Not great, but I'm not sure really what I was doing. But it did feel like a proper old old school. Felt like the felt like the um, one of the events in World Games in there. So yeah. Um, and that was all right. It was well, like you said, one of the one of the two that actually stands out in it. The pole vault. <laughs> Do you know? I've never been menaced by a pole <laughs> on a pole vault till then, and I was like, God, uh, that's why they don't show it from the angle. It's kind of like I was like, oh, it's, I don't like it. It's like waggling this pole right in my face. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a really weird perspective. It really threw me. That did. Um, however, um, the controls are really like hands off on that. You don't need to pull down. It does all that, does that automatically for you. Yeah. You just need to press the fire button when you get to the top and push up. I couldn't get to the top. I couldn't get enough speed. Yeah, I managed to get the speed up and then he automatically does it. I went over a couple of times. So I managed to get over the very lowest, 16 mm. whatever it meters, whatever it was. But as oh, soon as you good. went any higher than that, it's, it's not. You know, you're never going to win anything with that. And it, if, as soon as I try to put it higher, I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't know how fast you have to go to get over that top top end of that. And I don't think it's possible. And then finally, the archery. Um, that was the one I liked the most. It was the one that was straight and easy to play and for a reason that these games work when they do. They do you don't need to complicate your controls. You can read how to do it fairly logically, but just straightforward. See what I'm doing. Press, move this. That Oh, that does that. Move my position for my target. Press the button. Check the windsock to make sure I've got the owner just for, accordingly. Done. I really enjoyed that. I quite enjoyed it. I played the archery more than any of the other events. The closing ceremony yeah. is bleh, meh. Everything, everything else, unforgettable. Two half half reasonable events out of a whole sea of them graphics are, are good but the game design and the controls are not and it's not consistent it doesn't even feel consistent feels really off and why are they doing another summer games anyway why not you know pick completely different events that you've never done before well it's obviously just a time with the olympics isn't it so yeah i get it but they've already done it it's like just you know, do something else yeah do it you know, i know you've done california games and but there are other other events in the olympics they have they add new events every year there could have been all sorts in there boxing there could have been stunts on bmx's there could have been skateboarding was in there at a certain point there's loads and loads of curling i suppose about that maybe that's more winter games but there's loads and loads of Olympic events, they didn't have to redo cycling and diving and some of the ones we've seen before. So, um, because if you're going to redo them, you're going to be compared to them and they're not as good. So anyway, 49%, it's actually more than I would have given it for two two events out of all of that. Yeah. But I suppose it's it's got some nice graphics and touches. So, but what a tragic end to there. Ultimately, you know, Olympic run of games has come to a tragic end with them, but they got it right first time. So they were always on the back foot. So now not the best one of the lot really, is it? In fact, probably one of the worst. So definitely tragedy definitely yeah so game summer edition no 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 there we go got one more game let's move on to that and graham it's time to tell us all about your purple heart your purple purple heart Uh, this is from crl Yes, it sent a shiver down my spine as well. <laughs> there's, a, there's a tremor in the force, like a million people <laughs> cried out at once and suddenly silence. I fear something terrible has happened. Yoda! <laughs> Yoda, CRL released a game. They have indeed. Producer was MCT. I don't know what that means. Coded by Michael Twig. Graphics by Cameron Twig. Music by Jay Derrick. It's made by the Twigs. Good old Twigs. Okay. Twiggy. Good old Twigs. Twiggies. It's made by Twiggy. I wonder if he, he must have got sick of that joke. Probably. Um, it's pretty like just start there twitching. The mission here, infiltrate enemy lines throughout six unique landscapes, destroy the enemy and those engaged in military activities, avoid all enemy vehicles and aircraft, collect the weapons dispatched in various locations and use them to your full advantage. Use strategy and victory will be yours. Good luck 
and give them hell. Um, (laughs) In short, kill everything. Yep. So there are two players in this. They're two mercenaries. They have names. They have names. This is Striker and Cobra. Striker is ex-combat school. I should do it. He's a qualified combat school commando, qualified in Special Forces, Vietnam, 6364 Green Beret. And then this Cobra... He's a martial artist with a, a nice side. He likes, he's a beach person <laughs> and a night person. And he wants to see some of his things hanging there. <laughs> it's uh, Cobra is, is a martial artist. SAS X, SAS Airborne Ranger, Vietnam. Vietnam, man, 62 to 67, long tour. And in the Falklands War, okay? He was an SAS Airborne Ranger. So it's, he's in the SAS Airborne Ranger. Isn't that Australia? And it doesn't matter. I don't just, know. You know. It's an elite team. You've got to take this elite team and kill everything so that's that's the, that's the game it's a um two-player co-op commando rambo clone carambo carambo <laughs> it's carambo so it's carambo so you can play this one player or an av- sort of average playing one player two-player co-op i suppose if you like two-player co-op's quite good you can join that at any point as well by pressing the space bar which is nice yeah so if your mate comes in you know just come in see it's like what space bar and you're in you're in no matter where you are two-player yay so it's not terrible this <laughs> The price is terrible, 10 quid. Yeah. uh, It's not terrible. There are things that I liked. Uh, The sprites all do look the part for something like this. So the backgrounds are all suitably military, and there's a nice array of weapons to pick up. I think you've got, what is it, a flamethrower, a machine gun, a shotgun, and a rocket launcher. I mean, all the favorites, all the family favorites there. Yeah. (laughs) Hierarchy is all there. (laughs) It's all there. So it all moves okay. There's nothing bad about that. There's no real bugs that I, you know, what bugs can there be? You know, there's, there's sprites running around the screen. They've got nice little death animation as well when you shoot them. It's commando-y, so they, you know, the enemies come running at you in commando style, ramp carambo style. And you just have to shoot everything and kill everyone and just keep moving on and moving on and killing and moving on. And if you get shot, you die. And if you lose all your lives, you're dead. And then you start again and, and so it goes on. <laughs> It's, it's that kind of game. It's yeah, not it a great deal. It's not like this strategy or anything. It's just an old, it's a real sort of call, almost a callback to an arcade type. So it is basically Commando, really. Um, but in, even in the two player, I thought it was, it's likable, just a bit rote. I mean, this it, this kind of game's been around for ages since Commando, isn't it, in the arcade? So it's not, mm-hmm. there's quite a few of this now. I thought the graphics were big and bold for the title screen. No, okay, that was nice. And et cetera, the sort of loading screen was pretty good as well. It's own kind of crazy majorly colourful way. They're both gritted teeth, angry looking, and it's very predator influenced <laughs> yeah. that I think. You know, and I am I'm, I'm not sure palm trees really look like that, but oh right, it's just stylized. You know. <laughs> um there's simple options in the game, isn't there? One player or two. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> That's your option. That's all you need. What more do you need? Decent music in it. I thought the music from uh, Jay Derrick's not bad at all. The main game window was the player info at the bottom with your lives and your score, etc. Your little window into the player. Above that's the main game window, all in that glorious medium res color scheme that we've come to know and love for these sort of things. It's okay. It's very Rambo-like, to say the least, or Commando-like, with some okay graphics here and there. Some of the graphics aren't as good. None of it's terrible, but some parts of the, you know, there's parts where the, you know, they drew some quite nice details. And then when it came to the barrels, they were like, eh, just what's a barrel? It's a barrel's a barrel, just draw a barrel. So some of the graphics seem to have a bit less thought in them. And the positioning of them is as you'd expect. So however you ever encounter these things, if you've ever watched any of the Commando movies or the Rambo movies or anything like that, this is exactly how it seems that the American film-based military in these films, that's how exactly how the enemy always lay out their bases in sort of scattershot style with little mud huts. And things that are, you know, these are, you know, trained military professionals, but never mind that. They're just that build yeah. mud huts and have little bases and store, you know, storm things in mud huts and motorbikes. And things. It's, it is what it is. None of it's terrible. I think that's the thing. That's the, the real takeaway from this. 
I enjoyed a real good blast on this, I have to say. It's been a while since I'd had a blast on a Carambo-type thing, and a good one that I'd enjoyed. Not since um, Fernandez Must Die, and I quite enjoyed that, and it was reminded me a bit of that. So I thought, it's not as well thought out as that, but it, you know, it's just mindless, stupid, crazy. But it was it suited what I, you know, I needed a bit of mindless, stupid, crazy. I imagine two-player might be good, for an af- for, good fun for an afternoon. My only, I suppose, stick in the mud is it's very samey, so there's not a lot to it. It is just you know, six levels of the same thing over and over again. I don't know how much joy you're going to get out of that. And the price tag is high for what it is. At £10, this is this is a lot of money for what is essentially something that probably should be £2.99, really. I don't think it's, you know, CRL should have released this on their budget label, whatever that was. But it was all right. It got 58%. It's, it is just a dead average shooter. There's nothing great about it, nothing fancy about it. So 58% is about right. I think it probably is too expensive, though. What did you think? Yeah, probably about the same. It's carry warriors, isn't it? Carry yeah, Warriors, yeah, it's Commando, just, it's not particularly Rambo. offensive, is it? <laughs> it's all right. I thought all the, music, the music's good when you first hear it, and then when you hear it the third or fourth or fifth time, because yeah, it's not particularly very long. And it's also no, it's quite short. It's, but the weird thing is about the music as well is it's quite melancholy. Yeah, a bit of a, yeah. it's, a bit, it's a weird sort of tone to it. Yeah, so it's Rambo, though, the music in the Rambo. Yeah, game. it is. But also as well, this just plays over everything. I think don't you only get a Purple Heart if you die as well. It's not, not a medley given to the people quite dying. Possibly, I don't know. But you, yeah, the music just constantly plays. There's no sound effect on it. I don't, was there any sound no, effects? No, no, no. What was there? Uh, I don't remember any. No, I don't. It's just that music over and over and over again. I try to like some sound effects a bit. Visuals are decent enough, but I think, like you said, it just feels a bit pedestrian. Maybe you could have been a bit quicker to scroll and move. I quite like the fact you had to sort of go left and right, although you had to get to a certain point and then it would say go right or something like that, and you run yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like some of the backgrounds, some of the areas you pass through. I will say, though, that the enemies, enemy soldiers, toss around grenades like confetti yeah they did have a lot of them to throw around it's like they? it's like rick taylor in amazon women <laughs> da, de, da. Yeah, so, hey hey grenades <laughs> everywhere everywhere grenades they, they even throw them at themselves they just don't even bother throwing them at you they just throw them above themselves and run into yeah, them like, grenades yeah, they're they're mindless but they're, you know, they're just they're cannon fodder aren't they, they really yeah are. but it's, it's made me laugh it's okay i think the thing is though we've had a carry warriors and more importantly we've had fernandez must die recently and I think both of those, you know, kick this into a cocked heart, really. I think they're both yeah. much better games. I know the Commando was what it was and Rambo were a bit hold, but we've had two very good games of this ilk doing different things. And, you know, a Carry Warrior is a really good conversion and Fernandez Must Die was really quite interesting for lots of reasons, what it was doing. And and again, could be played two players. Both those were two players. And so I think in comparison, if this had been 2 or one ninety nine, I think you would have been a lot more lenient with this. But for £10, you're going up against those it does look a bit it's a it's, it just it felt it felt budget didn't it it felt budget but yeah. but 10 quid and i know like oh it's 2023 and why are we worrying about 10 pound but we are you know we're reviewing it as it was back then and we're playing these games through and i think in comparison to those two games it, it lacks quite a lot it's okay it's harmless fun and i think probably in two players because these games are okay fun if you're playing with them we'd have probably you know we'd have sat there put this on we'd have had a bit of a laugh and probably Played it a couple of times and probably never gone back to it, but it's just what it is. I've never heard of it though. It didn't make me laugh though because I was looking at the screenshots um, and the um, the sort of gallery pictures of them. It's basically Arnie and Billy with brown hair, isn't it? From Predator. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I yeah, also yeah. like the fact that Cobra was in the Falklands War. What was he doing there? <laughs> what are you doing there? What is he doing there? Yeah, Cobra. Considering, considering <laughs> that Striker was in Vietnam from 1963 to 64, Cobra was in the Falklands War. 
that's quite a big gap between them. That's like 20 yeah, years so, different. Yeah, 20 years later, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in Vietnam, 62 to 67 as well, Cobra. Yeah, so we would have been, you know, 30s, 40s, quite long to be the, old to be in the military, especially, yeah. but I don't know, I don't know much about it. These, these two not, are I don't these want to risk old. offending anyone that's, you know, I don't offend anyone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I like, his experience is combat school. <laughs> that's not really experience. <laughs> you should have done that anyway. And also experience is martial arts. That's not saying anything, is it? I could say I've got experience in martial arts, but I won't be very good. He was in the SAS as well. He's all over, this is all over the place. Anyway, don't matter. It's um, Purple Heart. It's all right. There we go. That's it. That's the seven games for this week. What have we looked at? We looked at Bomb Oozle, Bomboozle, which we really liked. We thought it was very good. We looked at Power Pyramids, which we did not like, with its overcomplicated story of pyramids in space being transported by a DHL driver or whatever. Uh, we looked at Scorpion. Which one was Scorpion? Oh, that was the Auto Man turning one, wasn't it? Um, yes. Which confusing and not particularly very good. We looked yeah. at Pulse Warrior, the uh, head crab game, which we thought was all right, which is quite good. The Race Against Time, which was out of time and you know late ironically the game summer edition which was a huge disappointment what it is and purple heart which was an okay thing to end on i think mm, um I think so. which was a nice little sort of a thing just to sort of cleanse our palate at the end there and it was it was all right a nice little blaster there and that's it what have we got coming up next week graham well we've got something called slayer okay uh, okay sounds heavy We've got Hopper Copper, which uh, I got the percentage wrong because they put the they didn't actually put the percentage rating in the magazine. They it was actually they forgot to put it in, so I got the last ability. The actual rating for that is thirty percent, so not much higher. No. Hopper Copper. We've got the Pepsi Challenge Mad Mix game. <laughs> Can't wait to mm. try that one. Partial credit. Captain Blood. That'll be interesting. Mm. That's the Amiga Deport in it. Yeah, it's the one that famously had the Zulux and soundtrack on the Amiga. Yeah, um, and also we one that we blatantly nicked some of the graphics off for the S Express <laughs> demo Cyanide Two. Yes, you did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. Space Prawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got Street Gang. Whatever that is. Overlander and Sidroid. Okay, I remember Overlander being quite interesting. Mm, who knows? I can't remember. I can, can cannot remember. Apart from Captain Blood, I cannot remember a single one of those. So they'll be. Uh, interesting to see how any of those turn out and that's it also we'll be looking at music we've got we've got mr brown sauce on for the next couple of weeks haven't we we have I'm just letting people know so they can prepare themselves brown sauce cometh i don't <laughs> want to say that again <laughs> it's making me think of, of gary running at you like that pole vault <laughs> oh god <laughs> sweated put that thing away <laughs> <laughs> just batting it away ah get away ah. <laughs> Uh, no, that's that's nightmare fuel, brown sauce fuel. Yeah, so we've got Gary coming on to talk to us. Um, he's going to help us through the Christmas singles, and after that, he's going to do the Christmas albums as well for the following Woo. week. So, uh, you know, like I said, strap in and prepare yourself for that. Um, if you wish to support us, you can do that. You can do that by do, going to our it. Patreon, mm. and that is patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Um, that would be cool for the price of uh, less than a pint of beer these days, clearly. You can sign up for that and get access to our Discord server, get the episodes early and without adverts. Uh, you can ask us questions. You can join in on stuff, get a shout mm. out each month when we sort of remember to do them um, and things yep. like that. So it's all good. Um, if you want to come and join us, that would be cool um, and excellent. And that's about it. That's all about all I'm going to say. It's been a, I think these ep- this month's going to be shorter episodes. It is what it is. We're not doing the big three hour things, but it is. We've still got 28 games to get through for December. We have which is we a do. lot of games. And then we're, we'll be done for the year. Can't believe it. Can't believe 1988 is done. I know. Done. Crazy. And we blasted through 100,000 downloads. Oh, yeah. We last did that episode. As well. We did. 
Do you want to say thank you to our, thousand, to our listeners? Yes, thank you. More than 100,000 thank you to the amazing listeners, downloaders, people who you know participate, of course, our amazing patrons. You helped us push through that 100K barrier, and that is something that we're incredibly proud of, and we're very humbled by everyone who listens, downloads, and enjoys our podcast. It's why we do what we do, and we shall continue to do what we do while we've got air in our lungs and games to play and joysticks we can waggle. Um, <laughs> that's what we'll do. So just want to say thank you kindly aye, from me. Aye, and I'll just, yes, he said it for me. I'll say thank you as well. It's always cool. It was nice. It was good. And we, we, we just, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing and, and keep on keep on playing these games so you don't have to and so on and so forth. Well, my competition pros still got some doink in those uh, micro switches. <laughs> I'm going to be playing them. <laughs> I don't want to know about your competition pros doink. <laughs> <laughs> no one does it actually no. broke my joystick broke I had to repair it so oh no what happened I, I pulled the stick out I don't know how I just did <laughs> um, it was during uh, winter not winter but during the summer Olympia sort of summer uh, um, game summer edition game summer yeah yeah oh no that's, that's your big uh, that's your big man hands it is I just I was just playing the cycling did it wag- waggled up and down and then the, the bobble broke off it just sort of the whole <laughs> stick came off in my hands so I was like oh no so I had to dismantle it find my screwdrivers Dismantle it and reassemble. Reassemble. It worked though. It worked fine. It was just a, it was just the screw would come loose. Well, these things do happen. These things we'll do happen. It. Oh, I do wish to say as well. Thanks to Steve on the Retro Asylum podcast. He gives a shout out a few weeks ago in the 300, 300th episode. So thanks for did that. He? That was oh, cool. He did amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So it's always very nice when we get these little shout outs and stuff. It's always warm oh, to couples oh, of our I'm always listening to their podcast as well. It's dead good. So yeah, it yeah, was. Go and listen it, yeah. to it. It's really good. It was. It was your. Well, it was supposed to be. A, it was supposed to be your three hundredth episode. One of it turned into three hundred and two. I don't know. You do, you guys, whatever. But it was good fun yeah. anyway. And, th- and thank you very much for uh, for that. That it's, uh, yeah, it's always amazing. nice to get those kind of things. I it think is. on that note, we should finish. Unless, yes, unless you've got anything else you wish to time. add. No, I think we've thanked everybody. We can thank. We've now got to escape while we have still got our lives and escape the greedy little green mitts of Yoda. <laughs> Oi! <laughs> Oi! <laughs> Run away! You won't. <laughs> Oi, Skywalker! No. Get that X wig out of here! <laughs> I bloody told you. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, right. Uh, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham Raddings, <laughs> and you have been listening to Empire Yodder's Back <laughs> or some such nonsense. And we will see you again next week. So uh, goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptutha, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.